0: So, without further ado, I'm going to bring in Leighton Gray. Hey, Leighton, I love you. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. And I'm going to bring in Ken Drysdale. Hi, Ken. How are you doing?
1: Great, great. Howdy, everybody. Hey, Leighton. Good to see you again.
2: Yes, pleasure.
1: <laughs> Old friends I see because you've been on Leighton's show a
2: few times, from what I understand. Yes, I've uh, I've had the pleasure of uh learning much about all the wonderful work that Mr. Drysdale is doing in Manitoba.
1: Yeah, and likewise, uh, I, I actually was at the table listening to uh, uh, Layton's uh, testimony at the National Citizens Inquiry. That's very cool. So both of you were actually at the NCI. Yeah,
2: yeah. Mr. Drysdale was uh, was at all was there for all of it, and I understand uh, he's working on that report. Or is it done now, Ken?
1: It's very close to being done. Uh, we're gonna—I believe—we're gonna issue a part of it in the next couple of weeks, and then hopefully by the end of the month, it'll be out.
2: Yeah, very exciting! I'm looking forward to to reading it.
0: Do you need somebody to go over the draft, dot some eyes, cross some t's for you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think you they're going to be holding that one real close to the vest yes. <laughs> until it comes out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> when is it expected?
1: Well. Um, it's, uh, it's uh, a it's a actually an extremely complex document it's um, without appendices it's around 1100 1200 pages uh, appendices add thousands and thousands more It's not only uh, just a, a, a text document it's also hyperlinked to videos uh, the national citizens inquiry prepared professionally edited videos for, every single witness. And we now have that in a database ready to be linked into the report. So it's not just, you know, the complexity of the words and the analysis, but it's also a a layer of technical complexity on top of it.
0: That's incredible. So what's the end result of that? What do you hope will come out of the report once you're done?
1: Wow, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? Um, I believe that number one, it's going to educate people. It's going to wake some folks up. I mean, I'm I'm amazed at how many people still don't know what happened. You know, mm-hmm. I, I could tell you a little story. When we were in Vancouver, uh, we went out for supper. You know, the, the commissioners and a, and a number of the people look, who were working in the local <laughs> NCI chapter. And at the end of the dinner, the waiter came up to us. He was a nice young man, about 25 years old. And he said, um, what is this all about? What, why are you guys together? And we told him national citizens Aquarium. we are looking into the government actions during the pandemic. And he, and he looked me in the eye and he was very serious. And He said, why would you do that? So there's a lot of education that needs to happen out there. I believe that, um, the document will also form the basis for information for, uh, upcoming legal actions. Um, there's a number of people who are starting, uh, cr- uh, there's a group in BC that's starting, um, um, a movement to analyze criminal allegations and take that forward. So in it, the last thing it will do too, is it will form a permanent historic archive. You know, it, it'll yeah. have video in it. It's got all the transcripts of everything, every testimony in it. Um, it's going to be an incredible historical document.
0: Now, originally, Preston Manning was part of that, and then he got selected to work on an Alberta inquiry, Alberta government inquiry, and that kind of kicked up a little bit of a fuss, and he stepped down. Um, who took over? Is it you, Ken, or you're a commissioner, right?
1: No, I'm a commissioner. Um, there, uh, Preston Manning was part of a steering committee. of It was a multiple. It was a number of people in that group who were, um, uh, you know, setting the direction and and setting and setting things up. Ultimately, it's up to the commissioners, the four commissioners, how the, um, the the hearings were conducted and how the evidence was taken. So uh, the steering committee um, that he was a part of set the things in motion. But bottom mm-hmm. line is the commissioners are responsible for the, the, uh, the mechanics and the operation of the hearings. Well, that was a good way to separate
0: from leadership, I guess, from the commission, from the actual inquiry itself so it really didn't affect anything when he stepped down he was part of the steering committee but he was replaceable at that stage
1: well you know it's like everything else um there's controversy and no matter what you do you you walk down the street and people are are, got some kind of a of a of a a criticism or complaint uh it's Mm. always interesting to me that particularly in what's going on these days Folks join things or they join meetings and they don't take the time to listen to see what the conversation is before they start conversing. And my father always told me when you come into a conversation that you weren't uh, in, in right from the beginning, you wait and you listen and you understand what's going on and what the nature of things are. Then then you can put in your two cents worth. But folks uh, don't want to take that time.
0: <laughs> That's incredible advice right now and quite nice segue over to to Leighton here because that's kind of what happened with me I jumped into a conversation and I didn't have all the details and uh, this is kind of why I'm reaching out to learn them all and this is around the Ingram decision so we'll come back to the NCI for sure there, Ken. but I I do want to go over to Leighton now because he's paramount when it came to that that case and the decision and Mm -hmm. I, I would like to understand it a little bit more on how it was a how it was really a win and how the charter uh, applied in this case or didn't apply. Uh, That's what I want to learn a bit more about. So, Layton, why don't you go ahead and and, um, uh, let everybody know
2: who you are and we'll get into that. Yeah, first of all, uh, I'm not sure that you're wrong about the case, Jason. Uh, I think it was just a situation where uh, perhaps we disagree. I understand why the position that you put out uh, publicly, why you stated, stated it the way you did, and a lot of people thought that, and they thought that because of the way the judge wrote the decision and uh, I'll just quote to you from line 282 of the decision she was talking about Dr. Hinshaw who was right. the, she was the chief medical officer of health for Alberta she was fired in the aftermath of the uh, of, of the case I like her twice that, right yeah well she was I, I like to think that part of the reason why she was fired was because of the work that we did but The judge disagreed she said this she said um dr hinshaw was a credible witness she was a calm patient well-informed and extremely professional even in the face of somewhat abusive cross examination i don't recall being abusive but 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 so here basically we're being abused by the judge uh the Mm -hmm. judge is saying something very uh uh unflattering let's say she says the cross-examination did not affect her credibility in any way While she may have been mistaken with respect to her ability to allow elected officials officials to make final decisions under the Public Health Act, which, by the way, was a big part of her job, uh, she testified that she had done her best throughout the pandemic to monitor the health of Albertans and provide advice and recommendations to protect their health based on the best evidence available. And the judge said, I find no reason to doubt this. So what happened in Ingram was the case had two parts. But uh, the only the, the, the judge wrote a 90-page decision, and about 80 pages of her decision was irrelevant. Well, it was irrelevant to the actual legal decision. It was very relevant to providing cover for the Kennedy mm. government and providing cover for Dr. Hinshaw, and to some degree, providing cover for the judiciary. Because as you know, Jason, um, and, and I know Ken knows this too, because the same was true in Manitoba, maybe the most locked down place you could find during the pandemic were courthouses. Uh, In fact, uh, judges were involved at at the planning stages of, of how to deal with the pandemic. At least they were in Alberta. I know this is true in other provinces as well. And in some provinces like BC, this is still the case. Um, So why would a judge do that? Well, um, first of all um, the, the getting back to the two parts of the case, one part was about the charter, and the charter issue in Alberta was the same as it was in B.C. in the Baudouin mm-hmm. case, or in Manitoba with the Gateway case that Ken knows all about. Um, and and we were going, we were always going to lose on the charter grounds, uh, for the same reasons that we lost in, you know, in B.C. and and Manitoba, and also in Ontario. And by the way, the Supreme Court of Canada refused to hear appeals from those decisions. Um, and so, really, if we had won on the charter, that would have been. Uh, what, what is called a Pyrrhic victory, we would have won the battle, but we would have lost the war because the Manitoba Court of Appeal had already spoken on the subject. Where we won was that we were able to show that all of the health orders were illegal. Um, they were illegal from the get-go, from the very beginning, because what the Kenny government did is they, they played a bit of a, of a shell game um, where, whereby they used Dr. Hinshaw as, as, a, as a straw person who would go out in the public and and she would put her name on these public health orders, these health orders that affected much more than health. And we're feeling all the after effects of, of all the things that they impacted now. Uh, but she was basically been being fed, uh, uh, a, you know, political edicts uh, to put in orders um, rather than having the, the legislative process take place in Alberta with legislatures closed. And we had cabinet ministers essentially writing uh, orders, uh, edicts, undemocratic orders into being. And and so uh, after the case was decided, that is after every single one of those health orders was declared illegal, um, in the aftermath of this 90-page decision, many people looked at it and they thought, well, what is this? Was it a win? Is is it a loss? Is it a draw? Well, I I think it is a win. Uh, You can get a court to say to to a government that that uh listen if you make if you make laws that give you extraordinary emergency powers and if you use the 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 the, you know the the democratic lawmaking statute process to essentially appoint uh you know a medical dictator and that medical dictator even exceeds that authority we're going to tell you that you exceeded that authority And to me, this is very important for Alberta because it does a couple of things. It it reinforces that the rule of law is still in place in Alberta. And that has Mm -hmm. been, I know Ken will agree with him in this, that has been, you know, in question for Mm -hmm. about three years. I know you just had Mr. Peckford on your show. I know he agrees with that. And so that was reassuring. And secondly, uh, the after effect of that is that, uh, you know, many, many... uh, Still outstanding COVID prosecutions uh, fell fell like like dominoes, and so uh, many high profile cases, such as uh, James Coates and his church, Timothy Stevens and his church, uh, Ty North, Northcott Northcott Rodeo, all of these were were clients of mine. I'm very honored to say, and you know they were facing years in prison. At least Pastor Pastor Coates was 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 facing additional jail time. So it is important in that sense. There's one more sense where this is really important. Jason, I'll just finish off with this sure. and answer to your question. You probably know this, but there's, there's a section of the Public Health Act that the Kenny government brought into being uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. It's section 66.1 and most people wouldn't know about this, but it actually says that uh, that, 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 that the Alberta government is not liable to any lawsuit resulting from the impacts of these health orders. Well, this may be the most important part of the decision. Because these health orders were declared invalid, uh, section 66.1 does not apply. Whereas if, for example, uh, the court had gone on and found that there was a charter violation and decided uh, the case on those grounds, what the charter does, as you know, is the charter says, okay, we have a valid law that violates the charter, okay? If if we had been successful in the charter but not successful on the other ground, um, then 66, Section 66.1 probably would have prevented people from bringing the law... Because legal. In. That's right, that's right, because you had a valid law. So there are many levels on which, um, you know, the Ingram case is going to be really important. I think the most important one, though, is uh, it's a call to action for the new danielle smith government and uh i think uh what this is, is is a recognition and um i i don't think it's going to be unique in this i think as we see regime changes throughout the country we're going to see this happen where uh governments are more willing to be introspective and to look at how you know the pandemic was handled and this is really what the nci was trying to do but it's happening in alberta right now because as you know danielle smith has a little bit of degree of separation from the Kenny government because Mm -hmm. of the way Mr. Kenny was removed or that he resigned, but he was essentially removed. And I think that the Ingram case is a call to action for the Alberta government to make the legislative changes that will need to happen in order for this not to happen again. And I can get into those if you like, but uh, I'll I'll bounce it back to you because I'm sure that uh, Ken's probably falling asleep by this time <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can't fully pay any attention because this is an incredible precedence here in alberta uh, quick question for you though Layton: how is this going to affect kerry uh, sakamoto is this opening the door for her when it comes to her, her alberta health services claim as well because now liability yeah. is back on the table
2: yeah this is a really good question and also um i'm not as familiar with the yakamoto case i am inferentially i'm more familiar with for example the sheila lewis case uh, which, as you know, Jason, is the, the lady who sadly died because um, she was denied uh, eligibility to be on an organ donor list. Um, and I think um, the, these are the, this this whole uh, st- structure of Alberta Health Services, which is like a cabal of about a dozen managers who who rule and you know govern Alberta healthcare. Uh, uh, you know, like a, like a sort of medical mafia um i i foresee that this is going to be taken you know taken apart i'm not i'm not familiar enough to with the case that you cited to know whether that would open the door for her to sue but i do know uh that uh, essentially people who have lost businesses who you know for example had their restaurant or their gym or other places uh you know shut down because of COVID 19 lockdown measures um do have the ability to sue the alberta government in fact uh the other lawyer who worked on the ingram case with me jeffrey rath he's in the process right now he's already drafted a class action that i think he's going to have a press conference later this week he's going to announce it and so any of your listeners or viewers who fall into that category uh you know would would do all the contact jeffrey rath his offices in calgary and anyone who um who uh who is affected in that way I, I think would be able to participate in that class action or you could also sue the government individual, I think we're going to see a lot of
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what Carrie Sakamoto's claim is about. It's with Eva Chippewick out of Lethbridge. So they filed out. Oh yes.
2: That's the lady. And she has a Bell's vaccine. palsy.
0: Yeah. yeah. Vaccine injury. So she was actually vaccine confirmed to be injured uh, by her doctors. They put her through the program to get some injury help. And uh, Alberta health services called her up and said, Hey, take the doses, take the boosters as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. When she was already damaged. Anyway, she's she's now sued the government of Canada, Alberta, government of Alberta, Alberta Health Services, the two nurses who poked her, uh, and CBC for misinformation. Yeah. So it's a very interesting claim because there's a bunch of moving parts. Yes, I have read one. it.
2: Yeah, it is interesting. We're actually about to launch our own uh, n- national class action, uh, but it's for the unvaccinated. Um, it's for okay. people who suffered harms. Uh, for example, loss of mobility, well, you know, all of it, mobility rights, uh, violation of, uh, you know, religious freedom, uh, all of that. And we're about to launch that uh, in about a week or so, week to 10 days. We, we've actually just uh, got a wonderful class representative plaintiff. So I think we're going to see more of those types of claims. Our our lawsuits focus more on the federal government because we really see Ottawa as the sort of eye of Siron that's, that's mm. uh, inflicting all of this evil on canadians
0: absolutely now ken well you watch alberta do this and we start to unwind some of the stuff and we have some victories uh, people um are are no longer being tried uh, they got dismissed they got stays because there was a delegation a decision delegation issue is basically what happened there she shouldn't have had it delegated or accepted the decision from one spot she learned her lesson. I'm sure she's gone, but now the system understands. Are is Manitoba paying attention to this as well, and are they following any similar paths as well, or was it just done perfectly and there is nothing to challenge there in Manitoba? I'm I'm <laughs> curious. Like, do they have a similar path that we have here in Alberta?
1: I believe they they are. I'm not that familiar with what they're doing. I mean, I hear things like everyone else does, but uh, I mean, I, I I you know, I, I just became aware of of some interesting applications that uh, some folks were going through. I had lunch last week with a a person who was a um, commercial property assessor. And uh, believe it or not, they assess those property values based on the previous income. And the argument that these people are bringing in court is that the government has to give them their money back for their taxes they charge since the government themselves were the ones who did these illegal lockdowns, or at least in my opinion, what they were illegal lockdowns and therefore crashed their income. And this particular one is a hotel owner. So, you know, he can prove that his all of his earnings went to almost zero, but yet the government still wants their cut based on the, the, uh, the uh, pre COVID lockdown income. So they're using the initial report that I wrote as evidence in court, and they want me to testify in that. So that's an interesting application mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. thing. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I'm an engineer. So I, I don't know uh, how successful they'll be, but it's an interesting argument. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, From my impression here in Manitoba, I believe that the uh, legal community is a little more constrained than they are in Alberta. Um, I think there's a lot more going on in Alberta. Um, I believe that there are a lot of folks here who are afraid. I hear it all the time, not particularly from lawyers, but I hear it from all kinds of people. They're afraid of backlash. They're afraid mm-hmm. of their uh, professional organizations. Who and they all going on witch hunts, you know. Uh, uh, Colleges of Physicians and Surgeons, in my opinion, have gone on witch hunts. They have violated their basic principles, the, the, the legal ones. So the, the, the law society here has also violated their principles. And you're, you're able to defend accused people who are accused of rape or murder, but you're not able to defend people against COVID charges. It's it's really interesting times we're living in. So in Manitoba, I believe things are starting to move, but in my opinion, Alberta is far ahead of where we are. And, and I'm not sure why that would be, but it just seems to me that that is the case. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a good point. Now, do you think it's because we're a little bit more little bit more conservative, some larger population or we have such the juxtaposition where we have two cities that are completely different than the rural areas? Now, are these all the things that can make it up maybe? Well,
1: well, you know, Winnipeg is a unique in Canada as a city. Most other provinces have competing cities and they have competing cities within a reasonable distance. Man- Winnipeg- Manitoba does not. The nearest Brandon large city in Manitoba No, Brandon's Forty thousand people, you know. That's um, the nearest one. Well, the nearest one's Regina, and uh, and from there, the nearest one to that is I don't know, um, probably Hamilton or something. You know? <laughs> but where if Thunder you look Bay, at it, maybe, well, I don't. there there a hundred thousand people in Thunder Bay? But you know what I'm trying to say. So Edmonton competes with Calgary, um, hmm. Regina competes with Saskatoon. Victoria, um, Vancouver, yeah, and, and there just isn't that. So Winnipeg is an interesting uh, case, you know. It's a it's a more of an isolated city. It, its population is reasonably small and somewhat static. Um, and, and I mean when you're looking when you're talking about uh, uh, Alberta, you know, they, Alberta has twice the population that Winnipeg has. So, uh, and I don't know uh, because I'm not involved. I don't know the peculiarities of the law society here compared to. Alberta, but I have heard from people and some lawyers that they were very concerned about the law society here. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. No, well, we did have the, did both, have the recent right? case. Yeah, we did have the recent case, of course, involving um, uh, the lawyers from the Justice Center who uh, yep. were involved in something of a controversy that was in the Gateway uh, decision, where yep. uh, two lawyers, Alberta lawyers, were were banned from ever practicing in Manitoba again. Um, I can tell you that, um, uh, well, those who've been paying attention, there's a very compelling case involving Dr. Jordan Peterson in Ontario with his professional college of psychologists, which will impact, I predict, every single professional college in Canada. Yeah. Uh, because really, I, I think he's been carefully selected because when you have someone of his influence and his means and his voice, uh, if if he can be brought to to heal, uh, then I think every single person who's governed by a professional college and particularly by a code of conduct, a code of ethics, uh, is in very, very grave danger. Um, and, and, you know, this is really important. People might think, oh, well, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a doctor. It doesn't matter. No matter. Well, it does really matter because the trust that people place in professional people uh, is extremely important to a properly functioning society. If people cannot go to their doctor and trust what the doctor is telling them uh, about their state of health, and if a doctor is constrained from telling a person, oh, for example, that if they take a certain injection, it could cause them grievous bodily harm or death. If a doctor is constrained from telling them, that's a serious problem. If, If people cannot trust that what they tell a lawyer is privileged and confidential, or if they can't find a lawyer who will even represent them, that's a serious problem. And I, it's not just doctors and lawyers. It runs all the way through psychologists, engineers. So many of the people, you know, accountants, so many people, so many of the people that we rely upon every day just to, to keep society sort of, you know, going and functioning, um, you know, we're, we're, are connected to professional colleges. And and this element of trust, uh, which, which was, is so much part of, you know, Canadian life. And uh, Canadian society um, has taken a, a, a series of tremendous blows in the aftermath of, of, of COVID. One other symptom of it, frankly, is um, what's going on right now, uh, frankly, in our judiciary. Um, mm-hmm. There's a serious, serious concern about the independence of our judiciary in this country. Uh, when you look at, um, for example, how Section 1 of the Charter has been interpreted, I know Mr. Peckford, I, I watched his. Uh, his, his, when he was your guest, uh, Jason, on this program, he one of the ones one of the people who wrote that section. He's horrified. Um, yeah. We're also learning the National Post is publishing a series of pieces. I don't know if you gentlemen saw this, uh, and this isn't a shock to those of us in the legal profession. But um, you know the, the the patronage involved in the judicial appointment process uh, has it's never been worse. Eight yeah. in ten of the judges who are appointed right now. Are not only liberal, you know, supporters. They're donors, uh, and and you know, so really, we we cannot get judges appointed in this country unless they're connected to the federal liberal party. Uh, and so, what does that mean when judges go and they sit in the in the bench? You know, I I looked at a meme just today from the the judges, the fifty three judges of the federal court of Canada, and in September of twenty twenty one, they actually published a meme on on a, a tweet. Uh, bragging about how every single one of them has been vaccinated. Oh. Well, what happens when you're a person who goes before that court uh, and you're bringing a suit involving vaccinations? So we have a pretty serious problem there. I have some ideas about how to fix it. But, you know, all the way across the board, institutionally, and I know Ken has done a lot of work, for example, looking at, uh, you know, at, at what he, he, he published a report that really took apart the lockdowns and uh, is trying to to get the police to enforce that and all the way through institutionally in canada we're trying to figure out you know what is going on and how do we fix it but i think what you said off the top jason is very 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 true we have to stop looking at the tops of the trees and we have to start looking you know at the roots and that's what things like alberta prosperity project and what ken is doing in manitoba that's really that's really where it's at that's where we can make the biggest difference we can reel about you know, whether or not, uh, you know, Pierre Poliviera is going to save the country from Justin Trudeau, all we want. But I think uh, where it's at, where we're going to change things is if, uh, you know, we get involved with our local library boards and school boards Mm -hmm. and, you know, that type of thing, you know, doing the things that we can do in our own communities, because, you know, it's the government that's closest to your door that impacts you the most.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: Yeah, go
0: ahead, Ken.
1: I was just going to say, you know, you're absolutely right. The the institutions themselves have lost touch with what they're supposed to be what they're supposed to do you know um, i questioned um, uh, a legal expert on a fundamental question and relating you could laugh at me about this but to me it's a (laughs) fundamental question and i asked a, a law professor what do you call the judge when you walk into court and of course they the professor answered well it depends on what the court which court you know and i said well <laughs> just walk into king's bench court what do you You your honor and i said why do you call the judge your honor and they said well you're you are give respect and da 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 and i said isn't that half of it isn't that half of it and and then this professor didn't know where i was going and i said the other half is that you're reminding that judge that they're supposed to be honorable and they're supposed to be representing the rule of law and rule of law, by the way, doesn't mean following the the rule in the book. What rule of law is, is that whether Ken Drysdale standing in front of the judge or the government of Canada standing in front of that judge, the ruling is the same. And we get, we get, we get um, treated equally. And that might be a small point to make, but I was giving a speech the other day and Leighton, you you reminded me of this because you used the same expression. I was giving a speech the other day to a group of people about party politics and I used the term the shell game Mm -hmm. and I didn't think anything of it. Well, you know, after the, after the speech, a whole bunch of people came up and they didn't know what the shell game was. And so I had to explain what that means. So fundamentally, we've forgotten the fundamentals of our society, the fundamentals of you going and voting. We The judges have forgotten that the reason they have, I don't know what the expression is, the reason they have tenure is because they're supposed to be protected from politics. They can rule against the right. government and they can't be fired. Very but they've true. forgotten that. They've forgotten that when well, we call them your honor. We're acknowledging that they're supposed to be, clear in their thought process, give us the rule of law, and judge us equitably. And they've forgotten all that. And, and you know, just on that one point, after I was talking to that professor, they said to me uh, that we started to talk about the trucker convoy. And uh, they pointed out to me, well, you know, it was, it was tr- uh, big trucks that were there, Mac trucks and stuff. There were no Mercedeses and Audis parked there. You know, the, the, the allegation or the insinuation was, uh, you know, our elites, whatever that means, didn't represent us. They weren't there in Ottawa because they had in their, in their minds, they had too much to lose. Mm. And the trouble is, is what they've already done is they've lost it. They've lost their honor and they've lost the right to stand up for somebody in a court of law, including, in my opinion, the judges.
2: Mm hmm. Well, the That's same is true, actually, of uh, of of Parliament. You know, when you think of these terms, the Right Honourable. Absolutely. Uh, the 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 reason why those those titles are there is because there is a tradition going back to the British parliamentary history, where if a <laughs> this will shock people who hear this today because our current Prime Minister, I think, has been he's been he's been convicted in violation of the parliamentary ethics five times. I think. If if he if more charges are laid, it would be at least double that. But it used to be that if a member of parliament were ever involved in any type of scandal, they would have to step away, uh, and because they could no longer hold the title of being the honourable so and so or the right honourable, uh, and and until that that controversy was was they were cleared of that controversy, uh, they they could not sit in parliament. And th- this was not written into law; it was part of the part of the code. Of, of parliamentary ethics uh, which we've clearly lost um you know i i can't think of the last cabinet minister who actually resigned uh, mr Trudeau fired a few of them uh, mr lemeny was one of them uh one of many mediocre lawyers who sat as our justice minister in my respectful view um but but this is uh this is very true and, and it gets back to the point i was making earlier about about our institutions and our trust in them because if, if people are going to hold these titles, they have to hold up to uh, that, that title. They have to live up to it. Uh, and it is an honor to be a judge. It is an honor to be a prime minister or a member of parliament. And, uh, and of course, um, uh, we must demand that of them. And uh, I think if we have too much respect for, for, for the title and not for the manner in which it's held, uh, then we've got a serious problem. And again, this comes back to things like APP, Alberta Prosperity Project, where we're trying to get back to the grassroots uh, of how our communities, how we govern ourselves. Um, because right now, I think it's very clear that the way that we're being governed in Canada uh, is almost entirely, uh, I would say the word is dysfunctional. It just isn't working properly. Yeah. And all levels. Inter- Yeah.
0: Yeah, and to touch on the um, the Peterson precedence, which might be set here, which is your profession to be uh, your governor, which is above and beyond what it was originally for. It was, it was to govern the profession, not the person. It was to provide guidelines, but for the profession. And if you stepped out of it, I, I get it. The challenge there, and as you were saying there, Layton, is what people may not understand yet is when their professionals are governed that way, controlled that way, you, you won't be able to trust them. Like there will be a doctor that wants to tell you, oh, it could be the vaccine, but because of the college, they're not going to tell you. Or a lawyer would say, well, or be thinking, well, there's a path forward, but I have to stand up against all these judges with vaccination and, yeah. um, and I'm not going to do it. So you're going to have that breakdown on trust. But mm-hmm. what people also need to understand is once it goes from professionals, it's going to go to the unions. The unions are going to start governing exactly the same way. They're going to be telling you as a member, how you're supposed to conduct yourself on social media and everywhere else. And then the next Mm -hmm. step is going to be your actual job, your employer. So once Mm -hmm. your professional bodies have gotten into the habit of telling you what you can and can't say, the unions are going to follow them up. They're going to say, Hey, look, they do it. We can do it. And then the employers are going to be emboldened because there's not even unions fighting back anymore. So they're going to get us all, (laughs) they're going to get us all Mm -hmm. eventually. Whether you're self-employed or employed in the union or a professional, there's going to be somebody that tells you what you can and can't say and what you should and shouldn't believe. And I think this is the precedence that Peterson precedent may set if it goes the wrong way. Ken, um, you see the same thing?
1: Yeah, you know, you're right. And it's, um, it's terror is what it is, even if they don't take the next step. I know people. You know, we hold rallies. We've got a series of seven rallies going on right now. We've done two now—one in Winnipeg and one in Gimli—and we've got another one tomorrow in, in um, Selkirk, Manitoba. And I know people who put their hands up in front of their faces because they don't want their picture to show up anywhere. You know, because they're afraid that we have government contracts, and they're gonna—and they're afraid that they're gonna take them away. Now, whether they do or not is a question. But the but the 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 key here is that they've developed enough terror and fear in these people that they cow themselves. How many of your witnesses, how many of your witnesses have stopped a moment and self-corrected or not said what they thought in this free country of ours because they were afraid of retribution? I mean, I could tell you that when I wrote that report that you referenced, I think I was into it about 10, I don't know, two or three weeks. It was never intended to go public, it was supposed to go to the police. Within, um, I think it was a month, maybe three weeks, I got a call from city of Winnipeg police because a copy of the report had ended up in some judge's mailbox in their home. And I said to the police officer, why are you calling me? At the time, the report had gone out 10,000 times. It's now over a million. And why are you calling me? I said, is it illegal for the thing to show up in the mailbox? I get stuff in my mailbox all the time. But that wasn't the point. The point was to intimidate me. Right. And then my professional organization came after me as well and carried out an investigation of me. Um, and, and that was to intimidate me. And I, and I want to admit in public that, you know, we talk about courage and we talk about bravery. Well, it's circumstantial, I have to admit. Yeah. If my professional organization would have hauled me in there and I was 25 years old and I had two small kids at home and relied on my, my job, I wouldn't have been so brave. Right. I have to be honest with you. But, but the fact is, is that and Leighton, you you tell me if you've observed the same thing.
2: Oh, I've observed absolutely.
1: that probably 75% of the people who are speaking up are my vintage. Yeah. And it's and it's not that the younger people are 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 not brave, but when you're relying on that job and you're relying on that contract to put food in your children's mouths, you think the government doesn't know what they're doing when they did that?
2: Yeah. No, there's no question about that. You know, it's uh, uh, our our friend Sean Buckley, and I know you you'll recall this well. He uh, he 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 gave a great speech to the NCI about the second commandment, the application of the second commandment, um, and that is, you know, do unto others. Yeah, mm-hmm. and part of that is how you treat other people, but it's also how you govern yourself. Um, and, um, if you're not willing, if, if we as Canadians are not willing to stick our necks out a little bit, I agree with you, uh, Ken, it is situational, but at the same time, you know, there's a cost of discipleship yeah. and, uh, we need more people who are willing to pay it that, and, and, you know, at, at the local level, that's, that's going to make the biggest difference. Yeah. This is why I really enjoy being involved with Alberta prosperity project is because we get people together. Uh, who are not only, only like-minded, but, but also you know, they have a lot of courage are people who are willing to, you know, to stick their necks out a little bit. And yeah. uh, you're right, there is danger in it because of the way that our society is being governed right now and, and the, the sort of uh, uh, woke net that uh, seems to be cast over uh, just about everything that we look at, everything that we see, everything that we hear, everything that we can and cannot say. Uh, but you know, that's not, that's not, uh, that's not an excuse. We have to, we have to have courage. We have to be willing to pay a price, uh, for freedom, uh, in, in the same way that, uh, speaking personally, it's not easy to be a Christian. Uh, there, there's a cost involved. Uh, you can't take it on and put it off like a, like a cloak. Uh, it's something that you, that you live, by, that you live by. Uh, it, 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 it takes over your life. And um, I would say, Ken, not only is there, a, a, let's say, a symmetry between uh, people of our vintage, I've noticed an even deeper symmetry between people who are believers, uh, who have, some, have, have a religious faith, and people who are resisting wokeness. And, uh, you know, I give a lot of credit to, for example, the Million Person March that's upcoming, that's being organized by a very courageous uh, and brilliant Muslim lady, uh you know who's in who's uh organizing that in defense of canadian families uh so i think there's a lot to fight for in canada i i still think you can call me crazy i still think our best days are in front of us uh but there's a lot of work to be done we just we need more people pulling on the rope Uh, people say we need more people awake i think we we need more people not only awake but uh, you know getting out of bed and getting out the door and doing something preston manning has a great book called Do Something, uh, which describes 365 different things you could do on a daily basis, no matter who you are, uh, to get involved and make a difference in your community. And if we have more people doing that, uh, that's, that's. I mean, to me, that's the Canada that I grew up in. That's, that's, that's the great country that we have. We still have so many great people in our country. I can't believe that it's going to fail because, you know, of, of the problems that we have. I, I believe that there are ways to solve them. But, you know, it's going to take work. We've got to roll up our sleeves. We've got to be honest about some of the problems that we have. And we have to be willing to make sacrifices to, to do something about them and, and, and to do something more than just, you know, going every three or four years and putting an X in front of somebody's name. Mm-hmm. That's not going to solve the problem. That's not going to begin to solve the problems that we have in this country.
1: Yeah, we, we don't even do that. I mean, you know, in <laughs> yeah, our, in our, our <laughs> <laughs> my group, Manitoba Stronger Together, has been – Uh, Part of what we do is educating the voters, educating the voters and bridging the gap of communication between the representatives and candidates and the people they represent. But, you know, people don't understand how tenuous these people's grips on power is. You know, we analyzed the general election in Manitoba in 2019, and there's 57 seats in the legislature in Manitoba. Well, of those 57 seats, 14 of them got in with a majority of less than a thousand votes each seat represents 15,000 voters 7 to 8,000 voted and and some of those people of those 14 got in by less than 100 votes now there's another group there's another 17 or thir- uh, I think it's 15 there's another 15 seats that got in by less than 2,000 vote margin so in other words 29 of the 57 seats in the legislature are up for grabs and so when someone tells you my vote doesn't mean anything they're not looking at the numbers. And I'll tell you what, the government doesn't want you to look at the numbers. We put out a blog post about this two weeks ago, and I got phone calls from uh, certain political representatives going, trying to say, no, shut up, you know, kind of hmm,
2: thing. Let me guess who. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we, we actually identified the writings and the representatives, and we're non political. We don't mm-hmm. support a policy. But what we're doing is we're educating the voters, we're inviting these candidates in to speak to us and you make your own decision. You know, it's funny, we had a meeting two weeks ago and we had a candidate in. And I said, okay, you got your 15 minutes or 20 minutes, give us your elevator pitch. And at the end, a few of the members came to me and said, Ken, why didn't you question the person? Why didn't you moderate it? And I said, because I wanted them to represent themselves to you honestly, you know, without me guiding them, without, without a script. And so you can now make your decision, is that person competent? Do they know what they're talking about? And and it's funny the the members went. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I can tell you, I can tell you, a representative that's not getting any votes. <laughs> yeah, but, you, you know, it, it's it's so deep. You know, we've all seen the meme because it's a great meme where there's a mouse and there's a mouse trap and there's a little piece of cheese in it, and the caption reads, "The mouse doesn't know the cheese is for free." But <laughs> right. but you know, <laughs> it's worse than that. Because you paid for the darn cheese in the first place, and they cut off a little tiny piece and kept the majority for themselves, and they stuck the cheese that you paid for in the mousetrap and pretended Mm -hmm. that it was free to you. And so it's even worse than what you think. And there is is a way out of it, but it's not instantaneous. You know, we didn't get here overnight. This is years Mm -hmm. and years and years Mm -hmm. of of the government infiltrating us with free cheese. And I could tell you that a true story, I think, you know, my wife and I run a, um, um, a recording studio. She's a performer and we uh, typically have all kinds of players in and they, you know, because we do all our music real. It's not synthesized music. And uh, we did a song called Overlord. No, sorry. That's not, that's a better story. We did a, a, mm-hmm. a, a song called Secrets, and it's a generic song about government corruption. It doesn't really say government corruption, but we, and everybody was happy. We issued the song. Then we did a music video on it. And again, very gentle, very mild. And on the night that it got released, I got phone calls from the players. Now these are musicians, you know, musicians are the, you know, ever wonder who writes their name in a washroom stall. That's a musician because they want, they want their name everywhere. Right? So on the night that it got uh, uploaded to all of the different platforms in the world, I got phone calls from a bunch of the players who want their names taken off the credits. Why? Well, uh, we're, we're worried about repercussions. And I, originally, I thought to myself, what repercussions? And it's that free cheese, most mm-hmm. people don't understand that in Canada, most music is created unless you're Shania Twain. Most music is created under grants from the government, mm-hmm. so these people don't want their name on a song that's critical of the government. So that's that free right. cheese again. You thought you were getting a free grant? No. You, 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 what happened to all the protest music? You know, and it goes like that for just about every childcare, medicine. Uh, legal services. The government's mm-hmm. got their fingers so deep into all that. The churches' tax exempt status. We're going to take away your tax exempt status if, from the pulpit, you make any comment on what's going on in, in your in your world. I mean, so they these fingers have infiltrated to the very deepest parts of our society, and so we have to address this. And I know Layton's group is doing it. You have to address it from the very basic parts of society by by getting that person who always just voted for the party and didn't think of it or getting those people who think that their vote didn't matter to understand hey they won by a hundred votes you matter so to solve this and this isn't taking away anything from anybody you know there's there's a hundred different ways to do things and some people are talking about uh, constitutions and all kinds of other things. Go ahead. But for an average person like me and my neighbor and my brother, what can we do? We're not, we're not bringing a constitutional challenge, but we can get educated. We can join into a voting block and we can say, Mr. Or miss candidate. If you don't do what we've asked you to do, if you've lied to us, fool me once, but next election, we're going to be watching you. We're going to be telling everybody the way you voted. And next election, regardless of what stripe you have on your arm, you're out. That's powerful.
2: That, that's a great point. And, and uh, when you talk about how tenuous the hold on, on power is, that's sort of the, fil- you know, the silver lining. Justin Trudeau only received about twenty two thousand votes uh, in the last election. So twenty two thousand votes and, and he runs the whole country like a dictator. Yeah. And, and that's the silver lining here, and, and Ken knows this, is uh, you know, if you talk about lockdowns, why do we get lockdowns? Well, here's the truth, folks, and it hurts. Um, these people, their hold on power is so tenuous that they're constantly polling us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we got lockdowns because when the polling came back, most people wanted to be protected from, from the virus. Yeah. And so therefore, we had lockdowns. And that didn't change until the, these brave truckers went to Ottawa, and they had this freedom convoy, and they set up their bouncy castles and and then then it shifted. And wow, did it ever shift quickly? Within a very short period of time, all the lockdowns were gone. and And that that happened because of polling. So what could happen? What would happen if the polling changed? If what we told these people who want to be in power, that they would have to do certain things. They have to be in favor of individual uh, r- rights and freedoms. They have to be in favor of their rule of law. They have to be in favor of a smaller government. They have to be in favor of lower taxation. They have to be in favor of, you know, responsible uh, things in, in school and education instead of filling kids' heads with, with crazy radical ideologies. Um, what if we did all that? Well, how could it change? And that's what things like Alberta Prosperity Project are all about. It's about renovating, rethinking our relationship, not only with government, but our relationships with each other. Uh, How Mm -hmm. we want to, how how do we want to look after our communities? Because, you know, the the truth is, and Ken alluded to this in terms of the government having its fingers in everything. They only can get their fingers in there because we're not doing enough ourselves. And, you know, we do a much better job of looking after our communities, than 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 the governments ever do in fact I can't think of a single thing that the, that governments do well except waste money uh there really isn't <laughs> anything that governments do that in, that individuals and families and communities and the private sector and business can't do better and does do better across the board uh, and so smaller government uh, uh, you know historically, in terms of freedom and prosperity and human flourishing, has always been better, yeah. and bigger government has always been worse, and so that's I think that's why you're seeing the the growth of these grassroots movements in places like Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba, and also to, even in places like Ontario, which you know I many Albertans think is like a foreign country now, uh, and of course they think everybody in Alberta is a MAGA hat wearing uh, you know crazy cowboy. <laughs> you know Almost. but i mean the truth is we're all canadians uh we all love our country uh we all really want i think we want the same things ultimately you know we want to be free we want to have have safe communities we want to have good schools for our kids we want to be able to go to church we want to be able to to uh to travel and do the things that we love to do uh but you know we're so we've never been so divided and I believe that m- many of the divisions are are government, state, institutionally driven, and, and to some degree are manufactured. They're not real, mm-hmm. uh, I, and and that's really what what uh, what APP is all about. It's about getting back to what is real, what is essential about the way we live, what is important to us, yeah. you know, as Albertans, you know, uh, as as people. And really, you know, it's it's love of you know love of country you know uh you know love of family and in the case of app it's love of god uh we have essential to the app program is is having god at the head of the state not because we want to create a sort of theocracy but the reality is um you know canada and the united states and other nations where human beings have flourished have been christian i don't think that's accidental you know dennis prager uh, you know it has a famous quotation that i i like to repeat and that is you know where god is men are free and where god isn't men are slaves and and that's simply true uh you know we in order to have human flourishing uh and in order to have the rule of law we have to have some standard uh to you know some someone to to whom politicians and leaders are beholden and sure. that gets back to the whole that whole honorable right honorable where does yeah. the honor come from Right. You're right. You know, I mean, people have to have something
1: greater than themselves to live for. Without that, how could you not be a nihilist? And that's what we're seeing right now. Ken, it's not it's not truth. It's my truth. Right. Um Ken, it's okay if I lied over here because I'm gonna get a little bit more. Ken, you shouldn't always be such a stickler for that because And that's because the reason people are like that now is because they have nothing or a lot of people would become a, you know, there is a, I think there's a resurgence of, of um, Christianity in this country, but I think we've got a long way to go. And I see when the, I see the policies that the government has institution has instituted, you know, that they're into daycare. They're telling you how, how, how you're going to raise your kids. And if you don't do this, I'm not going to look after your kids and people go, I, I need government daycare. You, you, you want, you want the government in music. You want the government in regulation. You want to know when you can get up and what you can say and what you can do and what they've, they've, they've done over time. is they're replacing something greater than a person with the government, and they're they're almost shaming people with regard to being Christians, it's, and and it's you. I believe it's unique w- with regard to Christians. When I saw what happened during the pandemic, they were being targeted. I didn't see, and maybe I missed it, but I didn't see any sieging of uh, different um, uh, different religious institutions other than Christian churches. I didn't see the police forcing their way into different places it was always in the Christian church and Mm. perhaps perhaps all the rest of them were more compliant but I don't think so um you know it's everyone seems to have lost their their minds you know the basic fundamental things that we lived by on the face of it were violated you know I, w- I was doing a little research the other day on the Ontario College of Physicians, and I'm going off off this a little bit. But uh, if you read in the Ontario College Physicians, and there's a, and there's an Act in all provinces which has to do with um, medical consent, and it's very well laid out in the Acts and in the regulations in the in the in the uh, Colleges of Physicians and Surgeons, and it essentially says that if a patient doesn't want to do a certain um, Procedure and a procedure could be an injection or a pill, or it could be a cutting with a knife. If they don't want to do it, you have to respect that. You have to back off. Well, particularly in Ontario, in the regulations of the College of Physicians and Surgeons, they had a piece in there, which isn't there now, but if you go to the Wayback Machine, you'll find it like I did, where it says, if a patient refuses to take the vaccine, you should prescribe psychiatric drugs for them or maybe therapy in order to get them to take the vaccine. Well, how is it on, they were on opposite pages on the same website. How did they lose their mind so much that they didn't see that what they were saying was completely wrong? And worse than that, because I've done some stupid things in my life, but now that we know, you know, we know that the the COVID uh, uh, vaccines never, stopped uh, people from getting it. We know it didn't stop death. We know it was never tested on pregnant women and pregnant women were forced into taking it. We know all these things. And I haven't seen a single one of those regulatory bodies come out and say, whoops. You know, Leighton, you said something earlier and I wanted to question you on it. <laughs> and you were talking about Dita Henshaw. Right. And you, I think you said something to the effect that in, in her testimony in the Ingram case she was saying that she used the latest and best information that she had available. Right, right. But did you not cross-examine her on another
2: yes. case where she said she didn't do any research. She just did what Ontario did or it, Quebec the same, did. Really? It was the same, was the same case. That's oh. the same. That was <laughs> what, I, what I read to you was what the judge thought she heard. But in fact, oh. in that case, we produced uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya as one of the world's leading experts in epidemiology uh, he's also uh, got a PhD in economics. He's an expert on the impacts of lockdowns. And he predicted many of the impacts that we're going through right now. And the judge complete not only ignored his evidence, but she adopted the sort of character assassination uh, that the Alberta government lawyers perpetrated against him uh, in the course of his testimony. I mean, this is a man who probably, I mean, if, uh, in, yeah. in the next, in the next, uh, if, if there's a Republican president in, in you know coming up in, in 2025 Jade Bhattacharya is going to be seriously considered for being the head of the CDC or the NIH that's how eminent he is and uh, but he was actually if you can believe it he was portrayed as a mercenary who is trying to make a name for himself on social media uh, because he he testified in the case Uh, for for free so that's that's exactly that that's what i'm talking about in terms of you know how difficult it is right now uh you know sort of trying to convince or persuade courts uh right now of of uh you know of the truth um and then at, at the same time where where the court dismissed uh certain scientific evidence and then took judicial notice of other facts let's call them the government narrative at the same time the courts say well you know, we're not, we're not scientific experts. We can't be arbiters of science. Uh, the court said that in Alberta, and then the chief judge in Manitoba said, you know, said likewise. Uh, but, you know, on the subject of Christianity, what you said, Ken, is very interesting. Uh, because, you know, I just wrote a paper recently called Godless Communists, which simply pointed out that in the last century, um, communism killed 94 million people. Mm-hmm. And and it's because it under I mean communism is fundamentally atheistic, and atheists place no intrinsic value on human life, mm-hmm. um, and and that's why you see these great these great atrocities. But in this vein, I, I saw a recent um, uh, depiction on uh, on Twitter, and it was really fascinating because in Hungary, which is now a, a very Christian, openly Christian country under uh, their leader Mr. Orban. Uh, they recently celebrated their 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 national holiday, uh, which was uh, uh, in honor of Saint Thomas, and they they did something quite beautiful and stunning, and that is they had a group of drones made a a, a cross, a crucifix in the sky, uh, and then and then it, that was on one side of the page, and then on the other side of the page, they showed a picture from 1956 in New York City on Easter Sunday, and what they had done. In new york city is they had uh, they'd shut off all the lights in these high and these high-rise towers but for the ones that made the three crosses and of course that is uh that was a symbolic depiction of the three uh, the, or the, the the three crosses the three crucifixions that took place on good friday so so in 1956 in new york there are three giant crosses downtown uh, but then in that 1956 is significant because 1956 is also the year that, that Hungary fell under communist op- oppression and Christianity essentially disappeared. Yeah. And, and now when you think about it, is it, it is as inconceivable today that in New York City we'd have three, three crosses light up their skyline as it must have been inconceivable in 1956 that Hungary would be a Christian country. Uh, But it's interesting to note that in countries where Christianity is flourishing, uh, you know, people are flourishing. Uh, Hungary is a very peaceful country. Uh, So is Austria. Many Eastern European countries are doing are doing very, very well under under Christian leadership. And uh, I think, uh, you know, as I said, it's it's, I think it reflects uh, what was true here a generation or two ago. And of course, we can't go back in time, but we can certainly learn from our mistakes. And I think that um, you know, getting back to, let's say, a more foundational uh, ethic in our country that at least has a Judeo-Christian ethic, foundationally in our in our society that which is the foundation of our Western civilization and our law, I think, is very very key. And I want to make it clear to people listening to this. I mean, I'm not a religious you know fundamentalist. I don't want the Pope to run Canada. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking more about along the lines of what Sean Buckley said at the National Citizens Inquiry, and that is, if we all live by the Second Commandment, we probably wouldn't need law. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, you know, I agree with, I I always do, because you're a lot smarter than I am, Leighton. I always agree with you. I
2: I can't invent things, Ken. These guys (laughs) don't know that you invent things that work when it's 80 (laughs) below. (laughs) Mm
0: That's an engineer. Well,
2: That's an engineer. Well, no, no, no. I,
1: I, I think God made them work. I just <laughs> figured out what they wanted, you know. But I, the part that I disagree with is that I don't think we're headed down the road of communism. I think, and this is a, people are going to go crazy about what I'm going to say, but we, we're on the, we're very well along the road of fascism. You know, the yeah. difference between communism and fascism, they both have the same root. You know, they they're both, they're both Marxist ideals. But communism is when the government controls everything, the means of production, etc. Right. Fascism is kind yeah. of a hybrid of communism, but it's where the government gets into bed with the big corporations and together they control all aspects and, of your and, life.
2: And media, yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, media. Right. I Agreed. mean, you know, I, I've often wondered, and I've got you here, so why not? I've often wondered how we have a Combines Act in Canada But it only applies to people like you and I. It doesn't apply to Bell Media or Rogers or Thompson newspapers. I have a friend who owned a grain terminal in uh, Western Canada, and there was a competing grain terminal in the town. I think there was two or three of them, and the one had gone out of business some years ago. And this small company, small Western Canadian company, wanted to buy that other terminal. Well, the government stepped in and said, oh, "Oh no, that's that's monopolism. You can't do that." And then Rogers, or I'll get it wrong, Rogers or Bell, or whoever the heck they are, take over three quarters of the communications in Canada. Well, that's a good thing. That's not hmm. that's that's not monopolism. And yeah. so when we get these giant monopolies, and they're sanctioned by the federal government then we're down the road a long way to fascism because it's not just the government squeezing you it's your job and it's it's um, the banks and the and the and the and the credit card company financial institutions saying they're not going to do business with you in our day and age they right. it's uh, it's the, the banks and the credit unions closing down people's bank accounts and i've asked the question and i uh, of some uh, ceos of the banking system and said when, when that order came down, if it was an order, did you consult your lawyers as to whether it was a legal one or not? No, no, they didn't. They just did it. Yeah. Well, so, they got immunity, so why not? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so if that's not fascism, you know, the co- giant corporations in bed with, um, with government. And then we put tremendous number of small and medium sized businesses out of business. Because the government chose winners and losers. You know, mom and pop store in the corner who, where you usually get your bread and milk couldn't be open, but Costco could. I mean, you know, <laughs> I agree with you. I, I think it's in a along, worst
2: kind of... Uh, go ahead, Jason. Sorry.
1: Yeah. And,
0: and along those lines too, by attacking the donations, you know, do good gifts and go and go fund me attacking those. I can't tell you how many people are afraid to donate even to defense funds or to candidates now. There's an incredible amount of people Mm -hmm. who only want to use cash. They won't send you money because they're very, very concerned that they're going to be on a list and be targeted in the future. Mm -hmm. So that's yet another fork into the death of democracy here when we can't even fundraise defenses for people like Tamara and Pat King Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people are so scared that they're going to be the next ones debanked. So you're not wrong at all. No. Uh, what I would have liked to have seen the banking industry do, which, which is what the insurance industry did, they said no. <laughs> they 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 denied the government on shutting down policies because the entire industry is built on trust from the public. So they yeah. didn't want to rock that. So they pushed back hard enough. I would have liked to see seen more industries do exactly that. And Absolutely. when we have our unions kowtowing to the government, you're dead right when we're headed to fascism because they're controlling not just the employer, the employees, the employees have no recourse. Where are you going to go to human mm-hmm. rights tribunal that just sent Joe out because he was vaccinated and didn't want to do it. Where are you going to go to your employer, to your union? Nobody's on your side. So yeah, you're hundred mm-hmm. percent correct. There's, there's nowhere to go.
1: Well, you know, one of the most interesting stories that I heard was this lady, I think she was in Ontario who, who went to the business development bank, which is a government of Canada. Mm -hmm. And um, she got a loan to start a a spa in late 2019. I think it was September, August, something like that, 2019. So they lent her $100,000 or more, and she started this spa business. And then by March, they imposed these lockdowns. Well, the business development bank of Canada still wanted its money, wanted its payments. Mm -hmm. You know, the arm of the federal government that shut her down wanted its money and they put her in default and she lost everything, lost her home and everything. So the government gave her money on the basis that she was able to do business. And then the government locked her out of that business and then they took everything she owned. And the same thing happened to, and it's not a secret to uh, Tamara uh, Ugolini from Rebel News. Her and her husband had started a a small construction business. It was um, a vacuum truck, I think they borrowed money to get. And then when the lockdowns happened, They still had to make payments when they couldn't uh, run their business. So the -hmm. government chose and always has chosen winners and losers. And -hmm. as long as you're not watching, you know, my grandfather had an expression. (laughs) He always I heard him talking one day to I can't remember who it was. And uh, my grandfather said, do you think my kids do what I tell them to do because they love me? Mm -mm. And it's the same with your politicians. They don't. They won't do what they're supposed to do unless you force them to do it, unless they're afraid of you. And mm-hmm. I will tell you something, and I don't mean afraid of violence. I'm talking about getting no, no, no. Not, but get out, but of recall or something else. Yeah. yeah, you know, when the first the first people that those candidates swear allegiance to is to the party. If they don't swear allegiance to that party, the party won't let them run. Correct. You're a, a voter is 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 way down the road. So they rely on you playing this party politics shell game with them. You know, uh, this today it's a red color, tomorrow it's a blue color, next day it's a green color. they're all the same. We keep going. You know, I I, I gave a speech the other day and I said to people, I'm talking about Manitoba and 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 I and I watched some of the faces in the crowd. I said, Do you remember a time when Manitoba shot rockets into space? Did you know that we had a spaceport in Manitoba? We shot Black, Black Brant rockets out of Churchill. Did you know that we used to and Winnipeg provide all the maintenance to Air Canada's jets until Pierre Trudeau moved that to Montreal in the 1970s? Did you know that we used to keep all the trains running for CP and CN? And I was there in the CN yards uh, about two weeks ago looking at something for somebody. And it, it was a ghost town. I remember being there as a young man in 1981, and there were tens of thousands of people working in that place. It was incredible. And now, when I'm in there, it's a ghost town. You'd have to look for somebody. How the heck did that happen? You know, that didn't happen just because we had an NDP government last time. We had a conservative government the next time. We had a—they're all the same. It's a shell game. And all the—why are the roads not getting better when you're paying more taxes than you ever have? How is it that the government charging you more taxes for carbon is going to save the environment and we're going to all of a sudden change global warming? It's all a shell game. And until folks understand that and they start to vote for the person and hold the person accountable, then it's not going to change. Folks say to me all the time, we did a live event in Winnipeg a couple of days ago and people came up to me after and said, Kim. Who's gonna do this for us? <laughs> and now it's added to my, my talk. It's turn around. Look at the person next to you. Look at the person behind you. Think about that neighbor that you've never spoken to in 25 years. Or that or that person in church, you know, when the church service is over and <laughs> you're out of there. No, mm-hmm. you gotta hang around, you gotta create community. And community isn't on a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't have community with a postage stamp on my computer. I have community with people that I go spend time with. And if we don't start, and that's simple, you know, who doesn't want to talk to their neighbor? Who doesn't want to shake their hands with the person sitting behind them in church? Who doesn't want to hang around a little bit and tell stories like, well, that's what we're doing here right now. We're telling stories, we're building community. You know, we're, we're starting to understand each other. And we have to do that as a society, educate ourselves, know our neighbor, You know, if I need some help, I should be able to go to my neighbor and say, I need some help. I shouldn't be going to the government and saying, well, what could you do for me? Because I deserve it. No. (laughs) So the solution is quite simple, in my opinion. Not complex at all. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen in the reopening the BNA Act. Maybe it will. I don't know. You can go ahead and do that if you want. But for most of us, The only power that we have is creating community, speaking together, educating ourselves and voting, not for a party, but for an individual and then holding them to account. I'll shut Um, up.
2: No, No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant you said.
1: Yeah, and I agree with that completely being an independent
0: candidate. This is what I'm fighting all the time. Um, The idea of party politics, party allegiance and people are absolutely aligned to parties. Now, one of the things I learned Early, and it kind of caught me by surprise. Was the party whip we still have oh, yeah. them okay? Yep. But the party whip's job in my mind early was to cause the MP to align with the party. But after more research and more thinking about it, they're really there to teach the MP how to whip the people. That's more mm. of a teaching position than it is a guiding position because. What ends up happening is once an MP becomes an MP for the first time, they get introduced to this entire thing called the whip. And then they learn how to whip the people. So when you go to them and say, Hey, I need this, that, and the other, they learned how to tell you to be quiet and not to become a problem anymore. And I think if people realized that parties have a whip still, and what the actual function of it is, is to whip you through the MP in order for you to continue to vote blue or vote red and stop complaining. This is where the power has died. It's it's completely died for us. And yeah. and people need to make MPs worried for their jobs again. Again, not a violent thing, but hold them accountable, demand accountability, um, make them worried about the next election, and maybe start demanding some things like recall rights that are actually effective. 40%? That's way too high. It needs to be a lot lower than that. Um, so, later I'm going to turn to you now. With APP, you have several policies that you're proposing for the uh, AGM coming up here. And I saw Mm -hmm. quite the list there. And it's impressive. Um, Can you touch on a couple that you think are like low-hanging fruit that can really move the needle if they get
2: passed or if people start to adopt that kind of behavior? Yeah. So uh, just to back up a step, just to explain to people what APP is. uh, APP is not a political party. We don't have any direct affiliation to any party. Uh, what we are is, is uh, we are a, a grassroots uh, educational society um, that has kind of a think tank arm to us. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to get good ideas uh, put into policy that would that will find their way into law. And what we're seeing right now in Alberta, just because of the way things have sort of unfolded in the aftermath of, of the Jason Kenney government is a tremendous opportunity where we actually have a premier in Danielle Smith uh, who really is prepared to, to listen. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, if you look at some of the ideas that have found their way into law under her government, for example, the Alberta Sovereignty Act, that's an idea that came out of a think tank. Uh, and that, that came right out of the Alberta First movement. And, uh, and so what we're doing right now is uh, we're we're taking the opportunity to try and get some, we, what we think are really good ideas, grassroots ideas, into policy at this AGM. You're talking about the annual general meeting for the for the United Conservative Party, and these would include things like, uh, for example, um, a new a new Bill of Rights for Alberta. In fact, I'm going to be I'm going to be defending that motion, a new cons- a new Alberta Constitution and Bill of Rights. Um, that would recognize and affirm things that are important to albertans that are not being recognized under the charter that's one example uh, but but some of them are more precise uh, and, and affect people in their daily lives for example um, in terms of health which is uh, very closely connected to covid uh, instead of having alberta health services as this monolithic Uh, All-knowing, all-seeing, commanding body that controls everything in Alberta in terms of healthcare. uh, We're suggesting that uh, we're we're proposing that there would be regional health authorities, uh, which are better acquainted with the needs of of, uh, Albertans in, in, in their communities and better able to respond. So we have less of a centralized authority. We have a smaller, smaller government and more regionalized authority over healthcare decisions. Uh, That's that's an example of something that 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 we're proposing. Another one that's really important, uh, I think. And uh, I've been working with um, uh, a a credit union in Alberta. that You you probably know about Bow Valley Credit Union uh, and a a really a brilliant Mm. guy named Brett Olin, who is their CEO. Um, He's very concerned about the, the 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 sort of financial access to financial services. And we saw this during the, the pandemic, I believe that either you or Ken mentioned it during this, during this call, um, this incredible encroachment into, uh, in, in, into an individual freedom where people's bank accounts are frozen. I think you were talking yeah. about this, Jason, in the context of GoFundMe. Well, uh, you know, this has even broader application. We saw, for example, Nigel Farage in Britain, who is one of the people who had led the, the whole Brexit movement. He was debanked. And there were no financial institutions uh, in Britain and he's quite wealthy, but there were no financial institutions that would uh, would uh, that would take him uh, as a a customer, as a client of their bank. And he discovered very quickly that he was essentially a a non-person. Well, what would happen? What could happen in Canada if a if if this, uh, you know, uh, global currency, digital currency were imposed? Uh, and we had Fintrack was being used to track people's uh, purchases and and to give them social credit scores in the same way that we hear about in places like China. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know what one of the things that we proposed is uh, that, that the Alberta government needs to take steps to ensure that Albertans will be guaranteed access to financial services. Uh, because it, w- without that, I mean just think about it, what could you do if you didn't have access to your money? Of course, not having access to, not having any money, is a deeper problem. But, but, for, but for people who are fighting and scraping uh, to hold their lives together under current current uh, economic conditions, what would it mean if you couldn't even have access to your money? Um, that's a serious problem. So these are examples of some of the some of the things that we're bringing forward, uh, which we think are essential changes to the way that um, that that Albertans are are governed. But the key thing about APP that I want to stress is that we're trying to present ideas, ideas that reflect uh, the grassroots needs and interests of Albertans, everyday Albertans, not the elites, but the people that mm-hmm. Ken was talking about, people who are at your church, people who are in your community, people who see you see at the grocery store, uh, people who, who love our country, love our province, and uh, they want to live peacefully and they want to live in prosperity uh, and prosperity, not just in financial terms, but in terms of human flourishing and so much of what we're seeing in terms of uh, legislation coming from, from Ottawa is really anti-human. It's anti-human flourishing. Uh, It's, it's control. And it, and it almost seems to me, and this may be overstating the case, I might have upset some people by saying this, but it almost seems to me that there are people outside of Canada who are sort of feeding in, you know, feeding the, you know, the, the calls into Ottawa, uh, almost like, you know, a, a baseball manager giving the plays to the pitcher at the mound and telling them, you know, what pitches to throw. And that seems to be, if you look at what the World Economic Forum, for example, has on their website, and you look at the at the policies of our government in Ottawa, you know, they sort of fit hand in glove. And uh, Alberta, the Prosperity Project, is a reaction to that. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to have some skin in the game and to take responsibility. And instead of sitting on our hands and not doing anything, actually getting involved and saying to uh, to the UCP, to the Alberta government, look, this is what we'd like to see. This is what's important to us. This is what we'd like to see in terms of your policy. And this is what we want to see in terms of, uh, of of legislation going forward. And what we've seen in Alberta, which I think is really important, and is maybe a little bit unique in terms of Canadian politics and Mr Kenny found this out is that in Alberta if you don't do what you're based if you if you don't pass laws if you don't govern according to the people who elect you uh you know we'll get rid of you and you know Alberta is is somewhat unique in this sense because uh we haven't had a premier or at least a, a a conservative premier finish their term in office uh since 2004 Ralph Klein was the last one to do it and uh i think that danielle smith is keenly aware of this uh but i also think that she's an excellent leader i I think she's a really good person i've had the chance to sit down with her i think she's very sincere i think she really really wants to do uh good things for albertans i think she really cares a lot but it's up to us you know to to let her know these politicians are not ideologues you know ken's quite right they they want to be in there they want to be in power And uh, if we send the right messages to them, in other words, if we're the baseball managers telling them the pitches that they, that we want them to throw, you know, we'll have some control. It might be a fun baseball game instead of, uh, you know, (laughs) three strikes and you're out all the time. Pardon the metaphor. I'm going to try to work talking pictures.
0: Absolutely. And and that's something to keep in mind because it's a good way for people to get together. So if it's not a party, go join APP, become a member there, get behind some of the yeah. idea making there. and And you mentioned that you kind of have a kind of have like a think tank branch which is cool but do you actually go out there and canvas people get the message out and do education as well do you bring because you're you're facing the government you're bringing stuff up to the government which is cool but are you also bringing stuff to the people so they understand the process better yes. maybe they should be getting more involved yeah. if you want to become a candidate mm-hmm. or, or you want to get more um,
2: involved in the membership are, are you educating people that way too yes and in fact uh, you were part of that jason and thank you so much for being a part of that when that uh, that call that you were on last week is an example of, you know, bringing in people like yourselves who aren't necessarily connected to APP, but who who do have a voice, who have a following and uh, and, and have some good ideas. And so that's part of what is being done uh, through our, our Zoom calls that you participated in. Uh, we also uh, do a lot of outreach work. Um, and really what we're trying to do is educate Albertans. We think... Uh, and we don't apologize. This we think that what we need in Alberta is is a referendum on independence, not necessarily to secede from the country, right. but to restructure and renovate our relationship with Ottawa, which is is very much uh, out of uh, out of whack. Um, it, it's out of balance. Uh, in that, when you look at what Alberta what Alberta's contribution to the country in relation to, and then you compare that to. Um, and that its importance uh, to the country and you and then you compare that or balance that with the amount of political uh, pull that we have in the country. Uh, we have a, a really severe imbalance. It goes all the way back to 1905. And uh, and that that's got to change. And APP uh, is is part of that. And uh, this is part of the mistaken identity of APP. People see us as a separatist movement that isn't part of our that isn't part of, mm-hmm. of the agenda that not part of the approach. The approach is about leverage what we the ideal situation is what we want to do is we want to have a situation where instead of having the federal government dictate to us uh, with with oppressive policies on things like health or energy or the environment or things of that nature. What we want to do is we want to have a relationship where Ottawa respects us and where we have a say in what goes on uh, and and we have some some leverage with which to. To to uh, to get into negotiation with Ottawa uh, because that's not the situation that's right now that that's occurring in this country right now and Alberta is not unique in that but Alberta is unique in the sense that uh, we, we, we are as, as a province such an important financial engine mm-hmm. for the rest of the country uh, where Alberta's contribution is very very key. Now uh, all the provinces in Canada are important uh, and and they all should have a say. And so Alberta is not unique in that sense. Uh, the real problem that we have in Canada, as you know, Jason, is that you know our elections are decided, uh, you know, uh, before in anybody in Manitoba even votes. Uh, that, that's a, and that's that's. I'm not kidding, folks. That's that's the truth, and it's actually symbolized by our flag, uh, because you know that maple leaf on our flag, folks, it doesn't grow west of Ontario. <laughs> good point. I didn't even think about that, but good point. <laughs> it's reflected in the flag.
0: Good. Well, we'll start planting some maple trees over here. Now, what I also like about the APP, and yeah, I'm just touching base with you now. So I am I am an outside advocate, is the best thing I can say right now, because I'm just learning what you are right now, mm-hmm. is um, you also become the leverage to the government, too, because you're not a party, but you definitely represent a lot of good ideas and a lot of people. Right. So just as yeah. you want Alberta to be a leverage to the federal government, APP is a leverage to the Alberta government as well. That's a good yeah. idea because it's That's not party great- aligned.
2: Yeah, that's a great point, Jason. On that, I just want to mention, um, you know, when 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 they televised the leadership debate, there was a debate that was public that was uh, that was televised uh, last summer, and um, it, as Mister Levant was there, Ezra Levant was there, and also Dr. Dennis Modry, uh, who at that time was the, the head of the APP, still very much involved. Uh, Daniel Smith was asked the question. You know what is the or else, and she pointed to the APP. She said mm-hmm. the APP is the or else, and what she meant was not us, not that you know we're going to come out with, you know, pitchforks or guns or anything like no, that. No, you're going to hold her uh, what she meant was is that is that we represent that grassroots movement, uh, that the 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 rank and file Albertans, who are willing to actually walk the talk, and are actually willing to leave leave the country if 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 it means that if that is necessary to to preserve our way of life that's not what albertans want albertans are among the most patriotic canadians in the entire country as you know jason um and so that's that's a misunderstanding that's that's something that we're cast a role we're cast in by by uh you know people in uh certain people in ontario and quebec which isn't true at all but what she meant was that you know there is an or else there is there is a uh, you know, the, the, and and I think she was saying it for a particular reason, and she's walked that talk to some degree recently in her dealings with the Prime Minister and with Mr. Jabot. Uh, and it's saying, look, um, you've got to take us seriously, because if you don't, we're, you know, we're willing to, you know, to 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 do something further um, along the lines of what Quebec has done. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, as I said, that's, that's not necessarily plan A, but uh, it is a contingency plan.
0: Yeah. So Ken, as you heard there, and as we know, Alberta does seem to be taking a bit of a step forward and taking a stand here for Alberta, which would be a good template for other provinces as well. Now, I'm just going to play a little what if with you. What if Alberta loses this? What if we don't stand up? What if we actually take a step or two back? What would Manitoba do? Would that harm all of the West? Um, In other words, what I'm trying to say to you is, do you recognize that maybe Alberta needs to continue this fight and win um, so that we can not free the West, but be a bit of a a guide or an example of what can be done? And do you see Alberta that way or is Manitoba its own ship and it can do its own thing uh, disconnected from Alberta altogether?
1: Manitoba has sorely lacked leadership. You know, we're a a province that was a half province We are a province with all kinds of resources. Joined with Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Manitoba, we have a seaport. We could be shipping oil, liquid natural gas out of that port, outside of the purview to some degree of the federal government. Mm -hmm. But Manitoba has lacked that leadership. Alberta's pushing. Yeah, I was a little surprised when I looked at the election results in Alberta last time, considering um, I used to do a lot of business in Alberta 20, 30 years ago. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in Calgary and a lot of time in Edmonton. And I was I have to say I was shocked when I saw how Calgary voted in that last Mm -hmm. election. It's not the same place it was 25 years ago, Mm -hmm. whatever the reasons for that are. But, you know. All of us need each other. Uh, I, you you don't know this, and I don't even think Leighton knows this. But I have nine brothers and sisters. You know, there uh-huh. was ten of us in a in a two three bedroom house, no running water, uh, uh, uphill both ways. You know. Mm-hmm. But what I'm getting at is that we all need each other. You know, my my nine brothers and sisters and myself. That's ten of us. Plenty the same number of provinces. We need each other. We fight all the time. <laughs> but we need each other. But Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Alberta are a little different. You know, I have six brothers, six sisters and I have four brothers and we're all good, but there's a certain bond between my brothers and I that my sisters don't have. And that's like Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. We could be the engine of this whole country. And we can be much greater within Canada than we can be without Canada. And I and I know that Alberta Prosperity Project is seeking solutions within Canada. We're all patriots here. But you can only kick us in the teeth for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 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 a little embarrassed to say that Manitoba is one of the provinces which incredibly includes Quebec that gets transfer payments every year. I think I looked at the statistics the other day in Alberta. I don't believe they've ever gotten a transfer payment. Have they late? I
2: don't, no, I don't think And don't, ever. Uh, Over the past 30 years, it's a about a $600 billion uh, transfer from, yeah, $600 billion is a lot of money. So, you know, the three of us, like brothers
1: should join together. And I think there is a certain willingness on behalf of Alberta and Saskatchewan more than there is in Manitoba. When I look at the transformation, look, at Alberta has been on a road to transformation for 40 years. I can remember doing business in Calgary in the early 1980s. And you know what, folks, you had a hard time getting a hotel room there, not because it was busy, but there just weren't any. Yeah. And I'll look at you now. 25 years ago, look at where Saskatchewan was. Mm -hmm. They were a half province. All the kids were leaving. It was going downhill. And then look at what the change, what happened in Saskatchewan. So Alberta, long climb to where they are now. Saskatchewan, tremendous turnaround in, in, um, in the province in the last 25 years. But Manitoba has lacked that leadership but had we had that leadership and have we been able to communicate or or cooperate with Saskatchewan and Alberta what we could do for this country you know what we could do by shipping oil out of Churchill or out of uh, oh, whatever yeah. port they decide up there yeah you know I, and and I'll tell you something I I was a I spent a lot of my career in the high arctic and even 10 15 years ago I remember that in the Hudson Bay region, all of the building materials and supplies used to go out of Churchill. They don't anymore. You know where they go out of? They all go out of Montreal. So they got to come out of Port of Montreal, go way up and around James, and then down into the Hudson Bay when we have Churchill sitting there doing nothing. And why is that? It's because of the lack of leadership, the lack of coordination. I, I could tell you that similar to APP, we put out Manitoba Stronger Together. Put out a thirty-seven because we have an election, a general provincial election yeah, coming up, October third. Important 3rd. one. Yeah, we we put out a thirty-seven page policy statement, and there's uh, fourteen. I'm just looking now. Fourteen different policy areas that we're suggesting things in. One of them is the port of Churchill. One of them is cooperation with Alberta and Saskatchewan. And one of the other ones that we put out is really interesting now. Maybe you believe in coincidence. Maybe you don't. But we put out a uh, uh, one of our, um, I would say, primary um, policy statements had to do with parental rights in the schools. Right. We, we put that out about three, four weeks ago. It's on our website, manitobastrongertogether.ca. By the way, you can type in albertastrongertogether.ca and it goes to the same site. But <clears throat> that's just an inside
0: thing. Foresha- foreshadowing. <laughs>
1: But if you go there you'll see our policy on education and parental rights. And you know what? A week and a half later, the provincial PCs had an emergency press conference and they held it in a park, the city of Winnipeg park. Most people didn't even know it was happening. Guess what? They announced parental rights. Great. Now, is that a coincidence? Maybe. Maybe I'm just think I'm more important we're more important than we are. I don't know. But I don't believe well, in coincidence saskatchewan's Saskatchewan is now standing
0: up on that as well. That particular issue as well. Yeah. So Sask Party, I believe, is pushing hard on that as
2: well, and they're making it yeah. one of their promises. You know, with 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 Ken, you know, Ken with uh, with climate change, I'm surprised that people aren't proposing a whole new series of all inclusive resorts up there on the Hudson Bay coast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should get in on that. I mean, that is, that's ground floor. You know, you know. One of the. It's funny you say that,
1: Leighton, uh, Leighton because you know. Most people don't know that the Arctic ice sheet actually floats. It's not sitting on land. Antarctica is different. It's on land. And so people were always saying, you know, as an engineer, I would figure this out. But since the Arctic ice match is floating in the ocean, if it thaws, it doesn't cause the water levels to rise. Ocean levels don't rise. It's like putting an ice cube in your drink. You know, you have a cup of lemonade and you put an ice cube in it. When the ice cube melts, does it overflow the cup? No, <laughs> volume is volume. Yeah, so it's all you know. This was this was all one thing after another. I, I'm old enough to remember in the 1970s when there was a gas crisis and we were running out of gasoline in 10 years, and then there was icebergs coming and we were going to have a. a an ice age in the next 10 years. And then we were going to have the ozone. we were all going to fry to death in 10 years. It's always 10 years. The only difference now is they said it was 12 years and that was 13 years ago. Mm
0: -hmm. So, you know,
1: again, yeah, (laughs) but of course they're denying it. I saw it. I saw a video today. I don't know if you guys have seen it, where they've got Trudeau on there and they've got a bunch of politicians from Australia and they're saying nobody was forced to take the vaccines. Oh yes. And, and then they showed the clips of them saying, "We're going to you know you're a misogynist and racist and mm-hmm. it's a it's a I don't it, think
2: I don't think Mr. Trudeau understands the different legal meanings of force. For example, right. duress is force, right? The mm-hmm. person feels like they have to sign uh, things have to be voluntary in law undue influence is is force exploitation is force there are different examples and subcategories of force within the law and when we're talking about vaccination we're talking we're talking about force in a legal context we're not talking about force in the sense of you know grabbing somebody's hand and making them sign their name to something there's no question that people in canada were forced to take uh Mm -hmm. vaccines that that force was applied forms different uh, types of force were applied and they were applied by government they're applied by media they're applied by employers they're applied by unions they're applied by schools universities uh you name it there was it was across the board uh, mm-hmm. a force that was applied to Canadians to take those vaccines and um, it almost looks like they're going to try it again. You know, it's just as in in politics, as in advertising, everything old is new again. Uh, the, <laughs> you know, the masks seem to be coming back. Uh, Mr. Biden, um, well, in one of his more coherent moments, which seemed to be exceedingly rare, uh, mm-hmm. said that there's a new vaccine. It's coming out in the middle of September and it's going to be good for everybody.
1: Well, you know, awesome. it's- it's a funny thing you bring that up because I had a conversation with a couple of doctors and one thing I asked them was with regard to these vaccines that they brought out, how long did they test them? And I think it was like two months before they, um, yep. they un- months. yeah, they, yeah, they, so it was two months. And so my question to the doctor was, if I was testing cigarettes for two months, would I have detected that they caused lung cancer? And the answer was no. And then I said, what about, and maybe i'm 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 giving people too much credit or too little credit here but i said what about thalidomide if i tested it on pregnant women for 2 months would i know that it caused incredibly horrible birth defects and the answer is no you know what about oxycotton if i tested that for 2 months would we know its addictive nature no but that's how we tested these COVID-19 vaccines. And it wasn't just, I, I'm not, a, as you know, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to me that if you approve something like that, but you still leave it up to somebody with no coercion, that it's up to them to take it or not. You know, if you want to take this or that, or you, that's up to, and you make a free decision, that's one thing. But when you do that, And now you, I'm I'm not even sure what the difference between coerce and forced is, but when you tell somebody, you will not have a job, you will not have a Mm -hmm. bank account, your child will not have an education unless you take this thing and it's safe and effective where they have not tested it for safe and effectiveness. Isn't that a whole other realm of liability and Mm -hmm. criminal responsibility, Mm Leighton?
0: International. well, so the issue is informed
1: consent, right? Informed yeah. consent, we're going to have yeah. to figure
2: out what that means, right, yeah. Titan? Yes, and I mean, it's an interesting, uh, the examples that you cite are interesting because each one of them involves uh, some degree of collaboration between big corporate and government. And you're talking about tobacco and, uh, you know, thalidomide and, uh, you know, opiates, so all of that, all of that occurred in those cases in thalidomide. Um, it took between about half a decade to 10 years before, uh, you know, the, the lawsuits and, and that sort of thing sort of came out and government started to, you know, to, to, you know, to take responsibility. What's somewhat unique here are the indemnity agreements, the yeah, indemnity agreements that, that are, that the government of Canada will not disclose, but we know that what they do an indemnity agreement uh, the, is where the government says to uh, pharmaceutical companies who have, by the way, a horrendous history, which we've just talked about a little bit, a horrendous history mm-hmm. of harming human beings uh, for, for purely financial gain. Um, but ba- basically, what happened here is that the Canadian government and other governments said to the pharmaceutical companies, it's open season on the human body. You can do yep. whatever whatever you want. And it won't matter because we will indemnify you, we will hold you harmless. They didn't do that for big tobacco, they didn't do that with thalidomide, they didn't do it with Oxycontin, they did it with the COVID 19 vaccines. It's a very serious question why they did it. We know how they did it, uh, but uh, you know, but but the question is why we don't know that yet. We suspect, uh, there's a lot of theories out there, we suspect that they're. Were, uh, were reasons, very insidious, invidious, uh, conspiratorial reasons. Uh, but we don't have the evidence yet because, of course, that's being suppressed. It's being censored. It's being withheld from us. And that was a big part of what the National Citizens Inquiry was all about, in my, in my mm-hmm. understanding, yeah. to try and get these stories out just so people could, could talk to each other and find out what's happening, you know, how this is impacting people. Yeah. Uh, but that is the untold story. And I think just as in those other cases that you cited uh, Ken, and not to blow the horn of the legal profession, but with big tobacco, with thalidomide and with opiates, the disclosure came following big litigation Yeah, and that's coming. And that is where the disclosure is going to come. Yeah. And uh, and that's that's why we are. You are going to see uh, uh, a lot of lawsuits that are going to come and. Uh, my suspicion is that big pharma has already calculated uh their gross profit versus what they're going to have to pay out and i think that the governments i think that in, that, indemn, that indemnity is going to fall apart usually indemnities mm-hmm. have a have a fraud component and a malfeasance component uh which means you know if you break the law or if you if you lie for example the way pfizer said that they were safe and effective <laughs> uh sorry no i don't mean to laugh it's just It's so awful that, you know, if you look at what Pfizer revealed, I mean, governments knew that these things were not safe or effective and that they did nothing to prevent infection or spread. And they and they lied and they lied to, you know, to Canadians. But I think in the fullness of time, the litigation is going to come and we're going to learn. And when we learn what actually happened, the actual relationship between big pharma and government, I think it's going to be absolutely shattering and horrifying.
0: Yeah, what what you do know. you think it's going to do to taxpayers who are on the hook for these? So Alberta now, because of the Ingram decision, just opened the door for lawsuits. That's a good thing. right? But but what happens if every injured person in Alberta, it turns out to be 100,000 of them get a 10 million judgment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can we bankrupt our entire province through this, this uh, litigation phase?
2: I think that this is where I say where the indemnity agreements are going to break down. Um uh, but you're talking about, you know, lockdown measures um, when I, you know, earlier. Um, but in the context of the vaccines, um, the big pharma has reaped untold, untold, inconceivable profits from this. I mean, we're talking about uh, these drugs were 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 pervade to millions, billions of people worldwide. Uh, uh, you know, like nothing we've ever seen. Um, And uh, I mean, a company like Moderna, which was absolutely nothing and created their vaccine apparently in about a half an hour, (laughs) uh, just became enormously rich. Pfizer was already rich and now is rich beyond anybody's imagination. I I think that governments ultimately are going to turn to companies like Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson and Moderna and say, look, you know, these indemnity agreements just won't stand up and they're going to go to them for for contribution. But it's not going to happen unless unless the big litigation comes. It's already started. There's a class action in Australia. There's one that's going on in South Africa. I happen to know about one that's going on in, happening in Canada. The case that you talked about in Southern Alberta, uh, Jason, is another one that's coming. And I believe mm-hmm. we're going to see a rash of these. There's also some that are coming in the United States, which historically has been a real driver of class actions uh, just because right. of, uh, of the way their legal system works down there. And because uh, they have the the sort of a, a somewhat unique, unusual right to civil ju- to juries in in yeah. civil cases there, uh, which tends to 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 drive uh, you know big, big big settlements uh, and big judgments down there.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now I'm kind of worried. Like, are we going to see an international court get involved at some point? Because Canada will have a lawsuit, Alberta or um, Australia will have a lawsuit, but Pfizer's in Europe. Like, how? How's that gonna work? Are we gonna because of this harm and because of this litigation, are we gonna demand a global court coming I, I certainly themselves? hope not. I I Me mean, too, that's what I'm trying to not. get at, but yeah, but this seems like the design, it seems like it's kind of setting itself up that we're all gonna ask for a global decision. And I'm concerned yeah. about that.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I, I, I don't mm-hmm. think that uh, for example, uh, the 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 International Court of Justice in the UN would be able to deal with something like this. Um, I don't have any faith at this point in the world health organization, uh, because I I, actually, I see that as a, as a really a puppet of, of the, of the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation, but, but, uh, you know, I don't think so. I think what we're going to see are, uh, you know, domestically, we're going to see these lawsuits and ultimately, uh, it's these, it's these big pharmaceutical companies that are going to have to, that are going to have to pay. But I, I expect that they've calculated this. They certainly did that with with opiates, right? (laughs) Um, They knew they knew that they were going to kill a certain number of people and and, uh, you know, cause so much harm. But this is what they do. They they create products that cause harm and kill people. And they just they just calculate that in a very crass, inhumane way. Um, And, uh, you know, we can see we can see this happening in real time. If you listen to someone like Bill Gates talk about how these vaccines work and he's talking about the next pandemic. You know as he mm. sort of wrings his hands like you know uh, uh you know uh the, the 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 old guy on the simpsons there montgomery burns you know right. Uh, right. it's just really frightening but this is what's happening this is what's happening in real time
0: now ken are you concerned about this too like what i can envision happening in my head is it comes to the point where there's all these judgments us has a bunch of judgments canada has a bunch of judgments and pfizer basically says well you add them all up we're bankrupt or we won't pay and then we'll say well then you can't do business here and they're like okay well we'll keep all these drugs that do help you away from you like i can see a huge fight in the future over how this is going to be paid um Should Canada or even Alberta or even a province like Manitoba start researching some pharmaceutical business now? Because maybe we should be doing this stuff at home and not worrying about Europe and other places. Because if they close the doors and and it gets wrapped up in litigation, the stuff that is helpful and useful and needed might be used as leverage against us. So we say, okay, well, you're not going to get that that uh, blood pressure medication anymore, which has been proven to work for you because you guys have litigated us or you're threatening us or you won't even let us import across your border without incredible tariffs. Like how will this work if we actually come to the point where all these injured people and the damage and the cost of the damage exceeds the profits that were generated. Yes, there are large numbers, Leighton, but there's also large numbers of damage. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. we don't even know how much damage it will be. It could be generational. It could be genetic. It, it could be lots of damage mm-hmm. that we don't even know yet. I'm more worried about the enforcement of any of this uh, and that causing even more problems. Uh, Ken, uh, have you considered that?
1: Oh, yeah. like, And it's not just about this. You know, we're, we're currently we've got a sharp stick and we're poking it in the eye of China and we get our steel from China now because we shut down our steel mills in Hamilton. You know, we're, we don't produce drugs here. We produce a few, there's a few pharmaceutical plants in Manitoba, not very many. We don't produce tires. We don't produce anything. Half of our gasoline comes from Saudi Arabia when we have the third largest reserves of gasoline or petroleum products in Canada, in the world. So, we have you know, we have almost gotten to the point where we don't make anything. Mm. You know, the, greatest, mm-hmm. the the greatest ambition of somebody going to university right now is they might be a manager at McDonald's rather than the window person because we don't create anything. We don't we don't you know I, when I first was, when I was in university I was about ready to graduate, uh, Stelco Steel where people don't even know what Stelco Steel is anymore. They used to own half of Hamilton. They had a fantastic steelworks there. Flew me this young 20-year-old kid from Winnipeg and interviewed and toured me through that plant and were offering me a, pos- a career position there. That doesn't exist anymore. Nope. You know, we don't mine anymore. In Manitoba, we used to have Inco and we used to pull stuff out of the earth and ship it all over the world. We used to... Uh, 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 We used to have uh, uh, wells, oil wells here. We used to have forestry. We have nothing anymore. We have financial services, banking, insurance services. We don't produce things. So when you talk about this, about pharmaceuticals, it's not just the pharmaceuticals, which most, by the way, come from China. If you look on the label, it'll say like labeled in Canada or something. But it actually came from China. And we don't even check those plants. If you're a pharmaceutical plant in Manitoba, because I did a bunch of work in one of them. They get checked all the time. But the plants in China don't go through that. They ship the stuff here. They change the label, made in Canada. So, you know, we're not just talking about pharmaceuticals. We're talking about fundamental things, oil, steel. I guess we're still doing wood. I still guess we're still shipping wood to the United States. We have the largest reserves or second largest reserves of uranium in the world. Where's that?
2: (laughs) We ship a lot of coal, but we're not allowed to burn it. <laughs> yeah, and we don't refine
0: a lot of Somebody's oil Somebody's you know, burning it. it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's you know it's a it's an interesting question, but people should understand it's larger than this. It's so much larger. You know, yeah. go to the store. You know, I, it's funny. You know, I, I, I even myself uh, a few years ago. You might remember the um, I think it was Gillette came out with a, a an advertising campaign about how bad men were. Yes. And I was really upset about that, and I thought I'm never buying another Gillette product. So then I went on the internet and I looked at who owns Gillette and what do they own. Well, you, I think you can't buy cereal without Gillette owning it or being part of the ownership of. They own everything. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You know, I, you're caught behind a, a rock in a hard place. We were asleep at the wheel for 50 years, and we put, we convinced ourselves, we told ourselves bedtime stories that the government was protecting us and that we had anti-monopoly legislation in place and we had freedom of speech and all of a sudden there was a crack in the night and we're awake starting to wake up now and we're starting to realize what has happened to us in our country in 50 years you know layton Mm -hmm. you talked earlier about you've got to stand up you know in world war one my grandfather was i think he was 25 years old he was born in 19, 1800, and he, and he just arrived in Canada in, in 1915. He was 15 years old on his own, and his brother came a year later. And when World War I broke out, he went. But you know who else went? His father. My great-grandfather enlisted. He was in Canada. He enlisted. He was in his 50s already, and he lied about his age. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's guts. Going back to a place that you left because we left after the clearances, you know I mean, holy smokes, that's guts. And they mm-hmm. went back there and they fought the war, and we're complaining about whether or not we're gonna lose a contract to the government. And so we better shut up. We better not have our picture taken. Yeah. You know what? There's we're too we're too darn comfortable i just came out of the i was in the bush for the last three days and it's like 95 degrees here in winnipeg the last three days working i was building something in the and in the, i've been waiting all summer to go out there and you know what <laughs> that reminded me of what those folks went through mm. but if you're not going through something like that the most ter- and if you don't have something else bigger than yourself to believe in that's terrifying that you're not going to be able to sleep at night because it's hot, that maybe you'll lose that government contract. Maybe mm. you don't get that grant so you can make your next record. Or maybe they won't let your kids into the government-owned uh, daycare system. Until Canadians start to remember who we are. We're tough SOBs. You know, we came across here and and, and went into the forest and 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 carved out a country. And the trouble is is that we've been we've been living off the fat of our ancestors Mm -hmm. and unfortunately folks it's our turn to step up now it's our turn to lie about our age i'm only 35 (laughs) folks
2: (laughs) i like that i like that and that has to be that has to be the final word i can't top that ken well i just got
0: one last little piece for you We, we got a lot of government fingers everywhere and that's because there's room for those fingers there because our fingers are not there.
2: The I know which finger I want either. to show the federal government, but I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, this for is a sure. family show. Hey,
1: hey, <laughs> yeah, Layton, we'll just- I'm yeah. dying to ask you something. Okay.
2: What's in that, what's in that envelope? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I wish I knew. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I actually haven't followed. Jason knows a lot more about that case than I do. We we're talking about
0: the Coot situation. Yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Jason knows a lot, probably has a, a lot more authoritative opinion than I do. Cause I, I haven't been involved in that case. And I honestly don't know enough about it.
0: I, I'd be happy to answer that question for you, Ken. Cause yeah, I was there in court. I've been following it. Um, it's very juicy. We know that. <laughs> so what the defense first? We'll, we'll tell you what the crown says it in, is in there. It's benign. Doesn't mean anything. Don't worry about it. What the defense says is in there is crime fraud as one of the allegations. Um, It it, it tackles the innocence at stake, which is a legal term on whether or not you're an innocent person and whether or not it's at stake. But uh, let me define what crime fraud is. It's not just two words put together. Crime fraud is a legal term when a lawyer, somebody with a license, gives legal advice for the commission of a crime. What that crime is, we don't know. What we do know is the defense said it's more than just a Charter eight violation, the Charter eight search and seizure. Yeah. So the defense has laid out the framework that whatever it is, it's criminal in nature. Um, it came from the Crown to the RCMP. There's four lines in that envelope. I don't know the contents of it. Uh, Very few people know. Uh, The defense team knows, or I shouldn't call them the team. The four defense attorneys know. One student knows. And then the crown knows. That's it. Even the judge Mm. doesn't know at this point. And all we're waiting really for now is a date for the opening of that envelope or the the decision on what's going to happen with the contents of that envelope. We just had the decision that he's going to open it. Yep. But he doesn't get back until September 18th from vacation. The court's trying to find some time. I understand one of the lawyers is really working their schedule, trying to find some time. So maybe we can get a court's date in September to find out what he will do about it. There's a mm-hmm. publication ban on the contents of that envelope. So when it is opened, I can't tell you what it says. <laughs> and then there's a publication ban on the decision of what he's going to do with the content of that envelope. So if he decides something we can't public we can't uh, publish that now i will be trying to challenge that and maybe there's something to talk to late and after uh, on i will be trying to challenge that publication ban a second time because i challenged it the first time it was being argued i was the only person in that court who stood up to the defense and said hey look i wanted to challenge that publication ban because there is no media here trying to challenge it at all in fact the mainstream media representative said we're not challenging the the uh, crown's desire to have a publication ban that's scary. That's scary mm-hmm. when even media is not challenging it. Mm-hmm. So I did. Uh, I wasn't successful uh, because he's more concerned about um, the, the Crown's office and the legal system in dispute or just dis, uh, being brought into dispute for um, the Crown. So he was more concerned about that being out there. But what he doesn't understand, Ken, is his publication ban became a truth ban. Because people can go ahead and say whatever they want now. They can say that's just a grocery list. It says milk, sugar. like It means nothing. It says nothing. And they can put that information out there, and I can't correct it. (laughs) If I go to correct it, uh, it would be a violation of the publication. So, So
1: they've created a whole bunch of little CBCs then, right, where they just say a bunch of stuff that isn't true and get away with it.
0: Correct. And then the entire, like the media, where the jury pool is going to come from, they'll be misinformed because we can't correct that information. But the challenge is going to be what is the judge going to do about it? And what is it? Now, if the defense is right, there's some criminal activity. I don't know what it is. Even the men don't know what it is. So when I talk to them, they don't know what's in that envelope, but they're very, very optimistic. Uh, One of the lawyers called it a golden ticket.
2: Mm -hmm. Interesting. They
0: really, they really do believe that if it is, read as they read it, um, there could be cuffs involved with the Crown. So this is all weird because uh, it is incredible. Now, this decision that we just had is case law. It was precedent setting. Mm. There was no case law in Canada for this particular situation to pierce the the veil Mm. of client solicitor privilege. So this is interesting. I am optimistic that the judge is interested in justice. He came from the prosecution's office. He knew some of these people by name and he highly respected them. He said all of this, but he still decided to go ahead and open this envelope. So what I believe in it is going to be pivotal. It's going Mm -hmm. to either going to be completely benign and the judge is going to say, ah, we do this all the time. We call this a Tuesday special. Don't worry about it. Or it's going to be a complete violation, which put innocent men in jail. Somewhere between those two is where we're expecting to fall. Uh, But in either case, we're hoping at least bail is on the table after this is uh, opened. Uh, We do want a fair trial. Uh, I'm speaking on behalf of a couple of the men here. They do want a fair trial to clear their name. But uh, the actual contents, Ken, we don't know. Publication ban, even Mm -hmm. if we did know. But it should be pivotal.
2: It should change this case. Mm -hmm. And if that happens... It sounds like they could apply for a stay on the basis of irreparable harm. His lawyers have probably thought of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a whole bunch. To, I,
0: yeah. yeah, there's a bunch of applications and motions ready to go. And they actually have yeah. two paths. One, that if it, it's benign, they don't do anything, then they continue with disclosure applications right. and other things. Yeah. But if it is, because um, they know what it is, the defense team knows what it is. So uh, they're ready with the, the next mm. step for sure. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Now, what I'm wondering, and I spoke to Keith Wilson about this one, Um, Will this reopen the POEC report? Because the POEC report is heavily based on the uh, in-camera information from the coup situation. It's heavily based on this national coup attempt that was developed, Mm -hmm. or or at least the narrative was developed around the the men that never materialized. Uh, The POEC did not prove it. Mm -hmm. Jeremy McKenzie was a witness. The government questioned him. There was no government... Coup attempt by anybody. So, but the report from Rulo, he clearly states he disregarded Mackenzie's uh, witness as a witness completely, and he does believe that the national security concerns that were triggered by the coup situation was real. So, even in his report, he still believed that it was real. Mm-hmm. If it turns out that the contents of this envelope shows the crown and the police, uh, let's just be kind. Um, were um going after innocent people they didn't have the the warrant correct and they violated a bunch of rights like that let's just say that's the kind part what will that mean to the poec report
2: mm-hmm.
0: well keith okay. wilson i asked him he said there's no mechanism to reopen that report there's you may have to sue maybe an injunct like we're not even sure what mm-hmm. would what would happen and if that report gets reopened what does that mean to the pmo and the rcmp um, mm-hmm. are they now back on the hook? Um, can we have a conversation about what happened in Coots? Uh, I'm, I'm confused and I'm not sure yet. And Keith, it doesn't have the answers yet. Mm-hmm. Leighton, uh, I'll quickly ask you, do you think there's a mechanism to challenge the POEC? If, if yes. it turns out that- Yes, it there is. Was, uh, okay. Yes, there is.
2: And it's exactly what needs to happen. That is, We need to have a national COVID commission inquiry. Independent civilian. That would would open up an actual inquiry. This is what the Rulo, instead of having this sort of dog and pony show, which is what the Emergency Act inquiry was, uh, an actual uh, an actual commission that operates much in the same way as the NCI did, that will look into all the key aspects of how the federal government handled the COVID nineteen pandemic and. Uh, the way that that commission is is structured in terms of how it's how it's commissioned uh, it could be included in 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 that in that commission's authority to review the findings of the of the rule report, and and so all this could be reopened by operational law. Remember Parliament is supreme. Uh, mm-hmm. Parliament uh, can can change and amend laws can repeal laws. Uh, And so this can be done. And I think in the fullness of time, this needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Uh, The work of the NCI really showed this. We need we need a a full blown inquiry that that has the ability to hold uh, people and governments and key actors to account. And I also think that we need it as a cathartic moment for our country uh, to, to heal some of the harms that have been done. Um, I wrote a paper on this called, you know, no account of no amnesty without accountability. You're seeing a lot of, uh, uh, you know, COVID villains, for example, in New Zealand, their new prime minister uh, saying the same things that uh, that Justin Trudeau was saying. Well, we never forced anybody to take a vaccine. Yeah, you did. And we have it on. We haven't we haven't recorded. Okay, the (laughs) Internet's forever, at least until you people erase it. Um, but you know uh, th- that's that would be my best suggestion about a how to reopen everything. Uh, that that has to be done. In fact, in the original paper that uh, called the you know the the COVID inquiry, which was written by Preston Manning, he envisioned that a that a private uh, 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 inquiry like the NCI that the end result would be that there would be such a public uh, uproar that that government would have to would have to actually take those recommendations and and treat them as though they were they were part of a, a royal commission and uh, that could happen but in the alternative we, we we actually could have a national inquiry into I mean we did it with the residential schools uh and that was but you know based upon people who are who make up uh, a, a, a less than one percent of our population why wouldn't we do it in relation to policies that affected every man, woman, and child in our country, including the unborn. Yeah.
0: Because the cost on this current government is too high. So do you think the next government would do it? And and I think we need a little reform around the Inquiries Act because there's no subpoena power. You can't really do charges. You're leaving it up to the the courts and the uh, criminal system after that. So maybe a little bit of inquiry strengthening on the act where there's subpoena power you have to show up under the penalty of mm-hmm. perjury that's there as well mm-hmm. and then the ability to either recommend or lay charges if necessary yeah. we need to have some teeth in the inquiry act before and it can actually had, be useful
2: if you we had it. remember with the sponsorship scandal that brought down the the, the martin government before before uh the, the, the mr harper came to power we had mm-hmm. it there uh, and that's you know we, this is not something that's novel in Canadian law. We can have it. We can do it. Uh, there's no will to do it right now because we all know that. I mean, the national COVID villains are are still there in Ottawa. Many of them.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. They push the button on approve on whether or not
1: you can have the inquiry. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So Ken, that's a problem, right?
2: Yeah. It's a big, big problem.
1: I mean, and you know the the funny thing about it is, in my opinion, the crimes are laying out in the open. Yeah. You know, when, when they said they, these things were safe and effective, they approved them under the interim order by exempting them from proving objectively that they were safe and effective. And then they codified those exemptions and the regulation less than a year later. So they're not hiding the crime. <laughs> it's there. It's, it's But 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 what they're doing is, Leighton, you talked about it a little earlier. You were talking about this um, ruling by uh, opinion polls. Right. But the tr- trouble mm-hmm. is, it's a it's a closed loop. Yeah. You know when you when cb when you're paying the CBC over a billion dollars, probably closer to two. I know they say one point two billion, but then that doesn't include all the advertising dollars from the government of Canada either. So you're paying them billions of dollars. You're paying the private networks, hundreds of millions of dollars and whatever you want to call it, grant subsidies, whatever the heck it is, you have a closed loop where, you know, investigative reporters should it just be eating this up. Yeah. There's a problem right there. No media. Yeah. You know, I can't help it. I know we're over time, but I just can't help it commenting on the CBC. You know, the CBC was formed at a time that doesn't exist anymore. The CBC mm. was formed at a time when if you wanted to do a show like this, you had to have millions and millions of dollars of equipment Correct. and millions and millions of dollars of people working for you. That doesn't exist Building,
0: building a platform meant something different back then.
1: Yeah. Mm. And now all the CBC is is a paid-for mouthpiece of the government. Now, the CBC is, in, in my opinion, two different parts. You know, There's, there's a French-language CBC, which is important in this country still. Um, In some areas of the country, that's the only French language information that folks are going to get. You have to preserve that. But as far as I'm concerned, the rest of the CBC should be gone. And we should take those edifices that they have in the various different cities and open them up as training schools for people like yourself, Jason, or people like Leighton who are doing good work, good Canadian content, that we can go there and use that equipment that we already paid for. And we keep on some of the staff to train and to maybe operate cameras mm-hmm. for us, but this this organization, this Pravda organization that we have there now, should be gone. Right. And and once and 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 you know that they're the fourth leg of, of democracy, you know, mm-hmm. and they're given special rights because it's so important, and yet they've sold themselves to a to 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 the government uh bailouts and 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 grants and uh, they're such an important part of our democracy and they've sold us out folks mm-hmm. they need to yep. be gone you can't fix them they're gangrene and you need to remove the limb sorry think, folks no, I, no I worries no, best,
2: no. I, I think my best hope is that I get sent to the same uh the same training school as Jordan Peterson <laughs> for social media <laughs> <I> <laughs> for for like sure. yeah yeah, yeah to That's learn probably where can, I'm can
1: headed.
2: <laughs> and that might be what they
0: end up doing in those buildings, or can you, you can just give them an idea? Yeah. Now, now Leighton, <laughs> there is a, a low-hanging fruit that I think sure. we can tackle here in Alberta, and that is the Alberta court rules for journalists. Yeah. It is incredibly, incredibly anti-independent. Yeah. If you read the rules and you go through it, it is yeah. incredibly anti-independent. You need to be an organization, you need to be accredited, mm-hmm, and all that kind of mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. one of the low-hanging fruits that I think Maybe we can push for here in Alberta is anybody can be media. It's a privilege, not a right. I want to be clear on that. It's a privilege, not a right. Uh, you attest to the rules, and if you break them, you're out. As simple as that. Because when I was doing the coverage for the uh, in Lethbridge Court for the Coots Men, there was no accredited media there at all, except for day one, day two. There was one member of accredited media, and that's it. Nobody else. On Incredible. Wednesday, No kidding. On Wednesday, it was annoying. On Wednesday, when I realized there was going to be no accredited media at all, I asked the judge. I asked for a moment of time uh, through the court clerk to ask the judge, can I represent media? Because I'm here. I got my ability to. I'm ready to record it. This is what I'm here for. But I'm not accredited, which means government approved. And in the rules of Alberta courts, uh, the judge can allow somebody to act as accredited media without being it so through the judge's decision i would be able to shut down completely shut down and and i don't understand why because media is part of the judicial system if the public doesn't know what's going on how could we have input or outrage or anything else like that and if we're doing things like publication bans on parts of the evidence Like, I understand publication bans on personal information for doxing, especially in family court, all that. I am pro-publication ban. But when it comes to the actual details of the court, the evidence before the court, or any testimony in front of the court, that shouldn't be there. Like, in Mm -hmm. really extreme situations, maybe, but not so easy. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's some room in Alberta to open up Mm -hmm. court reporting, at least. Let's just target that one for now to anybody, to Mm -hmm. anybody that wants to and that may get the public a little bit more involved because people mm-hmm. work they can't go to the court to listen to what's going on and if accredited media has chosen to shut the story down this is what ends up happening mm-hmm. we have no story anymore so
2: maybe a low-hanging fruit like that might be something we can look at and yeah. it, it, it begs the question whose court is it is it the exactly king's court? supposed to be our is it the king's court or i mean or is the king you know is does it, belong, does it belong to you know Charles over there in Britain, I don't think he cares much about it, uh, or 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 does it belong to the people of Alberta? Right. And if it belongs right. to the people of Alberta, then they they shouldn't be restricted or prohibited or excluded from what's going on there. We have a public interest in what's happening, especially in such a high profile case that arguably affects you know every Albertan.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I should I should be able to just sign a document, attest to it, kind of like an undertaking as a lawyer. Where you're saying hey, look my privilege will be revoked if i don't follow the rules but i don't think i should require training and i don't think i should be required to do things like the government says I, but if
2: i don't understand if, why uh, there's a publication ban there Who, who's being protected the court <laughs> well the right. first publication ban. Saying, what, yeah you, think, and, you know and, and, why is there a publication ban you know it seems we have to ask that question i think you know
0: same reason yeah, why yeah. there's so much judicial notice Oh. that was my second issue that I want to talk yeah, about with yeah, judicial that's, notice. We've, that's we've
2: a actually, broken system. Yes, we're we're making recommendations to to the Alberta government to to uh, and this is something that is a solution to what I call judicial activism, where yeah. judges make law. Right. So what you're right. seeing with Section One of the Charter is are, is is you know judges historically constitutionally under our system, their job is to interpret law and apply it. They're not supposed to make law. Sometimes they do in the in the context of the common law. Uh, For example, most of our contract law is judge made law. Um, And that has worked well for a long time. But what has happened in Canada in the aftermath of the charter, and I suspect now I've come to believe that the long game of the charter, the reason why Pierre Trudeau uh, wanted that charter there is because he wanted to transfer lawmaking power from legislatures to courts and then of course to appoint to appoint the judges and that's what we have right now however again there's a silver lining uh according to our constitution our legislatures are supreme they can pass legislation that restricts the discretion of judges they can do this in relation to section one of the charter they can do this in relation to uh, human rights legislation they can do this in relation to health legislation they can do it generally uh, they can change the rules of court so that they prescribe the types of things that judges can take judicial notice of, uh, right. and this is one of the key things that we need to do. Legislatures have not been doing that in Canada, because um, you know courts have tended to back up government. Um, and if you're cynical about that, you'll say you know that there's some sort of conspiracy, but the reality is that judges are weaned on the idea. That that legislators are, you know, that they reflect the will of the people, and that they are not they are not lawmakers, and so they have a certain degree of deference for government. Uh, They they don't want to disrupt or interfere with the democratic process. That's that's sort of giving them the benefit of the doubt, as it were. Pardon the pun, but but I think what's happening in Canada, what COVID revealed, is that um, you know the courts to some degree either willingly or unwittingly have become extensions of the administrative state right. uh, that that's certainly what happened with the COVID narrative yeah. uh, because you know we still don't have a single case in Canada where you know we've for example one on the Charter uh, there are some very intriguing cases in the military that my friend Catherine Christensen mm-hmm. has been developing um, but um, you know as a general proposition you know, nobody's been able to win against the government on the charter over COVID, and that's a serious concern.
0: Yeah, it's been abused, and that's what I talked to Peckford a, a lot about. Uh, the oak test needs to go, and yeah. the living tree doctrine needs to go. Those yeah. are the two things that have been put in place that gave right. the power to the court. But those can instead. be
2: legislated yeah. out. Yeah, Parliament right. Exactly. Could, that's what I think we yeah. should be doing. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Straight to that
0: oak test. Yeah, I agree. It needs to go. And then a suggestion on judicial notice. So I'm just going to let everybody know what it means. Uh, judicial notice is a rule of law that permits a party to ask the court to accept as fact something that is so widely known that no one would dispute it. Now, I think the quick solution to judicial notice is the moment a party disputes it, you can't have it.
2: That's a great... Simple that's as exact, that. That's exactly the, the suggestion that we've made, uh, that, that we have made to, to the uh, Alberta government yeah either side i mean it seems uh, it's one of these things up until now it was unnecessary to even point that out because everyone knew that right yeah but uh but unfortunately we live in an age where um it seems to have become necessary to to prescribe these things um and uh and that may be that's we go through eras, we go through epochs in the law, just like we do with fashion mm. and hairstyles. Mm. And we, have, we tend to be going through one right now in the law where um, courts are taking a very restrictive view of certain types of human rights and civil liberties and to be very creative in relation to rights and, and liberties that actually are not in the charter. For example, the right, you know, some of the LGBTQ rights or the rights of indigenous peoples and things like that, uh, you know, choose your aggrieved group. Um, the, the courts have been very busy creating special rights for them. Uh, but not really respecting the ones that are actually enunciated in the charter.
0: Right now, Ken, this is a part of the conversation I had with Peckford, which was God. Okay. So let me pull up the line that they put in there on purpose. Very first line of the entire charter. Okay. Whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God in the rule of law, colon, which means it applies to every single section after this. That's what the colons meant That's to right. say. Yeah. Now, if you don't believe that there's a supreme power above the state. Well, then you must believe the state gives you your rights, which is the complete opposite of the entire purpose of this entire document. So if you don't believe that, you don't have to believe in a god or pick a god. You just need to believe that there's a higher power above the state, which grants you your rights. Therefore, the charter is a document, which is an agreement from the people to the government. If you don't believe in a, a god or a higher power, then you must believe that your rights come from the government which makes the charter a document from the government to the people to limit your rights. This is why it's backwards, and this is why it's being abused so much, is the supremacy of God has been completely ignored. They call it a preamble, they call it a decorative, and it's not. (laughs) In fact, the person who was there when it was written tried to testify to this in an Alberta court, but the judge said he doesn't have standing, Peckford. Mm -hmm. Peckford doesn't have standing because the government expert understood the charter. That was our case, that was Ingram. Yeah, that's that's yeah. incredible that that even is a thing that happened. You wanna to talk to that a little bit, Leighton? Because when I heard that, I was like, what? How could the person who was there during the intent creation stage of this document not be able to testify to the intent yeah. of
2: it? She just basically treated him as a quote unquote lay person who didn't have any expert in all them, that he wouldn't be qualified as an expert. And so really that, that uh, he wouldn't have any meaningful evidence to give about how Section 1 of the Canadian Charter Rights and Freedoms would be applied. Which is how does really, that happen? It's really stultifying reasoning, uh, but that's what we had, you know, throughout that case. Uh, you know, for exa- another example is there was a Johns Hopkins study, the authoritative study that came out uh, in the early part of 2022, uh, which was um, a summary of 34 meta-analyses on the impacts of lockdowns okay of of what are called non-pharmaceutical interventions and uh this really was the the authoritative word on lockdowns and of course to no one's surprise it came out and said basically that lockdowns were the worst public policy idea ever not just in health ever and um that that report uh, the, the judge in Ingram would not allow us to enter that into evidence. She ruled, that-, she ruled that it was inadmissible, that it was you should, irrelevant. You should
1: have entered Theresa Thames' Canadian influenza pandemic plan, which said the same thing. And no. up until uh, March of 2020, that was the rule in Canada. And then all of a sudden it got turned on its head. So the federal government said that themselves in that it's over 500 pages long, folks. But um, actually, you can download it off our website. But um, they actually said no lockdowns, no masks, uh, none of those non-pharmaceutical uh, interventions were effective, and they had tremendous um, detrimental effects to society. That's mm-hmm. Teresa Tab's own words in that report. And Incredible. How did they throw that aside? Because it didn't fit the main narrative
0: that they were told is the yeah. truth. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Now, I only have a couple questions. I'll let you guys go. Thank you so much for letting me steal a little bit more time. This is really interesting, this conversation. And Ken, do you mind coming back after the election? So after sure. your election in a month or so, we'll get you back to see how things are looking now? Absolutely. It might be, it might be a decent update to have. Um, all right, so this one's for Leighton. Uh, Layton, does the APP support net zero or carbon capture? Where do you guys stand on that?
2: Um, our, our position is that... Uh that the climate policies uh, that are being enforced, for lack of a better word, by the federal government are based upon false uh, science. Um, mm-hmm. The you know the best um, uh, you know the best evidence that I've heard of uh, is 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 essentially what has been put forth by a very famous Canadian scientist, Dr. Patrick Moore who's written many books. He's one of the founders of Greenpeace. He left Greenpeace when Greenpeace became essentially uh, green, green Marxism uh, and uh, lost, lost its way. But essentially what what, uh, Dr. Patrick Moore says is that carbon dioxide is the food of life. Uh, And in fact, he goes further. He says that, but for the the accidental providence of human beings discovering fossil fuels and beginning to burn them around 200 years ago, um, we probably would be in a full blown ice age right now. In other words, if CO2 is warming the earth, uh, it's, it, it's probably staving off an ice age and the earth is actually cooling. In fact, he's written several books that debunk all of the myths, like, you know, how the polar bears are, are being, uh, uh, you know, are in danger of being extinct, and that there's walruses throwing, committing suicide, throwing themselves off of our rocky island. Uh, there is, there is no giant, uh, you know, collection of plastic straws in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. No one's ever seen that; it doesn't exist. He uh, destroys all of these mess. And uh, APP's position is that um, even if there there isn't there isn't CO2, does not pose an existential threat. Uh, it is not causing forest fires or any of these things. And even if it is, those impacts are are not only negligible, but they are manageable along the lines of uh, what scientists like Bjorn Lomberg uh, and Alex Epstein and Michael Schellenberger are saying, and that is that uh, you know throughout history, uh, human beings have showed incredible adaptation uh developing technologies to to deal with these things and that that is that is the way to do it now carbon capture might be one example of it but honestly uh i think you know carbon capture we may as well be capturing butterflies for all (laughs) the impact that's going i'm not a scientist that's based upon you know on the, the you know the science that i that i trust um and the people that i trust who are putting this forward i certainly would not believe anything that the Canadian government in fact just because the Canadian government is telling us uh that you know that that you know that CO two um poses an existential threat uh, to to the to the climate and to human uh, uh adaptation and flourishing um I would not believe it. And that's sure. the position of app
0: Okay so it sounds like you want real science you don't want the hokey science you want some real science well, I think science. we have the
2: real science um, it's just that it, it, it's not a question of science what what the the what you know what the what the what the climate science that the Canadian government is putting forth is not based on science a, any more than the covid the, the, than the covid-19 virus was I mean it's as hokey as that was in fact it's worse because we have a very very long uh, we, we we have all of the evidence over a very long period of time And uh, and all of its uh, all of its nonsense. And I mean, it's very hard to accept that that fossil fuels are, you know, basically the existential threat to Canada when our prime minister flies all over the country, thousands of miles in a single day, burning more fuel than most Canadian families do in 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 years. Uh, So it's very hard to accept that, you know, in this in this, you know, in this context. For sure. And
0: when uh, the price of property in the mountains exceeds the coastal areas, then I'll start believing it. Right sure. now, they still want to buy the coastal areas. So maybe yeah. when those prices change, I might believe it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and Ken, what I'm going to ask, the uh, last little piece here, and then I'll, I'll let you guys go, is how can uh, Manitobans get involved with you and, and Canadians as well? And um, yeah, let them know a little bit more about Manitoba stand together or stronger together um, so they can maybe get more involved.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Similar to APP, Manitoba Stronger Together is not a political party. Um, We're non-politically aligned. We don't take donations. We don't uh, charge for memberships. We don't even have a tax-exempt status because as soon as you have a tax-exempt status, the government starts to dictate what you can and cannot do. What we do is we provide tools, and the primary hub of our tools and resources are on our website, which is manitobastrongertogether.ca. There's resources on there that tell you how government works, how, how to run for office, how to vote, uh, what, where your writing is, what a writing is. You know, I, I discovered um, in the process of this that uh, some people, when I was talking about writings, didn't know what they were. And they would come afterwards and ask me. So all of that information's on there. There's uh, policy statements, 37-page policy statement. There's instructions of how to approach your re- elected representative. There's an oath of office. That we're asking candidates to sign. Of course, it doesn't have a legal standing necessarily, but when they sign an oath in office, and then does the opposite come the next election, we can hold it up and say, "Guess what? Your vote getting voted out." So, it um, you can join, just go to ManitobaStrongerTogether.ca. There's a sign-up sheet. Uh, you can sign up to it. What you get with that is you get all the resources on the website. It's open. You can use it. It's open source. Um, which means it's copyright free. So you can just use our information. Uh, you get our, our blog posts uh, emailed to your uh, your mailbox. You can fill in as much information as you're comfortable with on, a jo- on our join form. You'll see it's quite comprehensive. And the reason it's comprehensive is we want to know what ridings you're in. So that when we have an issue in, I don't know, Fort Gary riding in Winnipeg, we can go into our database and we can get 100 voters in Fort Gary riding and we can go and see the representative there. But if you're not comfortable with giving that information, you know, give your name and give your email address. And as you get more comfortable, now we also, we have a, a weekly zoom meeting on Tuesday night, 630, um, central time, which is uh, 530 mountain time. It's an hour long folks. It's 60 minutes. That's it. At the end of 60 minutes, it's over. You're not sitting there for four or five hours, listening to people preach about this and that and the other thing. Um, there's a lot of information on the site, uh, you, you, you know. Even, even business cards. You can download business cards from the site and print them. And again, we don't take donations. We don't charge memberships. We don't sell coffee mugs and T-shirts. The way this works is we give you the tools. If you want a business card, go on the site, download the PDF template, and print yourself some cards. You want a poster, the posters are on there. You can download them and print them. We have printing companies that are doing stuff for almost nothing for us because they believe in the cause. And they don't want to be named, by the way, because they don't want wow. to have any influence. So Amazing. this is a true grassroots organization, and it will only work if folks turn off the TV and do something once a night, once a week, come to the Zoom meeting, uh, just to see what it's like. You don't even have to say them. We don't record them. We record the guest speakers, and Leighton's going to be a guest speaker in a week. Uh, we record them, and then we post them to our site. Uh, but other than that, they're not recorded. So you don't have to be concerned about that. So manitobastrongertogether.ca, go on to it. It's it's very easy to to navigate and join up.
0: Well, to all my friends in Winnipeg, Fort Richmond is where I kind of grew up, Fort Richmond Collegiate. Um, oh, yeah. So all of you, go ahead and get involved. Um, doesn't cost anything. Print the cards, print the posters, get it out there. And then Layton, same question. How can people get involved
2: with uh, um, APP? And uh, can Canadians also help? <clears throat> yes, um, I'd recommend that people visit our website, al- Alberta Prosperity Project..CA uh, also we have presence on all social media. Um, and again, much like what, what Ken was saying, um, it, it's an open door. Anybody who wants to, wants to get involved with APP, uh, you're welcome. We have a lot of resources there on the website. Uh, we have great people there to provide resources and to, to connect you. We also have live events where we have speakers come and, and, uh, and, and talk about issues that are of interest to many Canadians and Albertans. Um, and, uh, and also, we are part of a movement that is, uh, that is geared towards uh, a referendum in Alberta. And I think that referendum is going to happen probably before the end of 2024. Meaningfully, that's when it's oh, wow. got to happen. Uh, so, so time is of the essence. Um, it's, a very, it's a very exciting time for Alberta, and I encourage everybody to, to you know, get involved with it. We also have uh, many uh, events, uh, Zoom calls, uh, that people can tune into and listen to great speakers like Jason Levine and others. Uh, and, uh, and so that's, that's how we're spreading information. We're providing information to people. Uh, because unfortunately, in our country, uh, censorship has become a very, very accepted and commonplace thing. It, it shouldn't be in a free and democratic society as as, as Canada is meant to be. But, but that's the reality with some of the legislation that has been passed in this country. It's very hard for people to get information that they can trust. And that's part of what we're trying to do. Our main focus of the APP is education. Uh, if people are, are want to learn mo- even more about that, uh, I also have a, a podcast, the Grey Matter podcast. They can visit our Twitter page at Grey Matter Convo. There's a lot of APP con- content on there and also on the show. Many of the people who uh, who are very, very prominent in the APP and import- perform important roles have been guests on the show. And uh, so people can learn a lot more about the APP from, from just watching some of the podcasts episodes uh so uh but that's that's probably the best way people can find out more about app
0: well i I look forward to getting more involved as well um um, i absolutely think you guys are in the right direction and this is the leverage that alberta needs we need a good conduit of the voice not through a party and i think that's a great great uh, idea and same thing with you ken if i was in manitoba i'd be all over this with you um so, yeah, I'd like to see a lot of people stand up and maybe Saskatchewan. Do they have something similar? I know Sask Party is doing a lot of work, but that's a party. I don't know yeah, if they have yeah. their own. Do you know, Ken, if they're doing the same thing in Saskatchewan?
1: They are starting. And uh, I noticed a couple of questions in the, in the feed here from the Facebook feed. People were asking, are we just in Manitoba? Uh, we started very few months ago and we were onset by a provincial uh, um, election. So our plan is to get the template right here, get the website set up, and then we'll spread out across the, pro- across the country. So as I said a little earlier, you can, you can go to Alberta together.ca and you come to us or Quebec or any of the 10 provinces and three territories and, and Canada for that matter. So our intent is to get the template together and then move across the country. And, and if I have a minute, um, when you go onto our website, you'll see a lot of bisons and Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a minute just to tell you a story about that. I'm from a tiny little hamlet in Manitoba called Stony Mountain and in around 1870, the late 1800s, the bisons in North America were dwindled down to about 500 estimated. They were on the brink of extinction. There was a warden at the Stony Mountain Institution and he started a bison herd and you know, By 1910 or so, that bison herd had grown to the size that they actually restocked most of the bison in Manitoba, or in in North America, from this tiny little hamlet that I was born and raised in, called Stony Mountain. Incredible. And so so we, we use that symbol, not because it's on the Manitoba flag, but because if we can get it right in Manitoba, there's an opportunity for us to repeat what happened in the 1870s, where we spread freedom and democracy back across North America from this tiny little place called
2: Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Right on. Incredible. Right on.
0: And I think Alberta is well positioned too
2: there, Leighton, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we like bison out here too. <laughs> they all came I'm from sure here. <laughs> Just no maple trees. No, no maple trees. No, no, not that kind of maple tree. And, <laughs> yeah. no, that's a That's a liberal f- flag, by the way. That's why it's red and white.
0: I did not know that.
2: <laughs> is that uh, yeah. speculation little, came or is that really flag big. in the late '60s, like 1966
1: actually. or '64, yeah. if I remember. That's a liberal.
2: Yeah. That's a liberal flag. The one that we had before was, I think, more emblematic of of our nation and our nation's history, in my respectful view. I think we had a better flag before we got this last one, but it's still our flag, and we yep. should cherish it. Yep.
0: Yeah, and let's restore the uh, the the lyrics for our national anthem
2: we're going to change them again apparently
0: oh, yes. so what now
2: what are they taking out now Go our on. home on our home on native land
0: our home and native to our yeah, home no, on
2: native on native land, yes oh. because of, is, this un, undrip? This is undrip, undrip which yeah. Yeah. sounds like a na- nasal spray but it's much worse oh, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah
0: so major grab. okay well we definitely have more episodes to do here <laughs> <laughs> we do we do and i just want to let you know that i'm happy to rebroadcast any of your shows to reach my audience at any time so any well, of your app stuff i'll thanks. rebroadcast if you want to
2: do that thanks jason
1: be my pleasure be my pleasure
2: listening. to be here with you and ken tonight i really enjoyed our mm-hmm. conversation Lane, it's thank always a,
1: it's always a pleasure to be with you and uh, jason it was a very much a pleasure to meet you it's always it's good to meet new friends thank you very much and yeah i'll meet you down at the forks one day or something or i'll come out <laughs> to
0: the east side of that lake manitoba and, and visit you and maybe Absolutely. we'll head to the west side and go check out your other property on lake <laughs> <in> winnipeg <laughs> I know where you are there now, Ken. I've been paying attention, keeping track. <laughs> but thank you both very much. This was an excellent episode, a great way to start this week. We do have a lot of great guests that I think you guys are going to enjoy. Because mm-hmm. uh, you brought up Sean Sean many times, and he's on on Friday. So oh, great. Have, yeah, he'll yeah, be. Sean Buckley is on him. Friday. Yeah, yeah and you, you'd enjoy Thursday as well. This is with uh, Dan Hartman, so the father of Sean oh, Hartman. Of yeah,
2: that's great. Yeah,
0: so tune in on Thursday for that one. He's got a and big lawsuit going. Yeah, that's what we we'll talked about. We had to, we took two weeks to clear it with the lawyer so we could talk about certain things. So we'll be doing that on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then tomorrow is an excellent episode as well, where we have, his name is Dale Richardson. I believe he's in Manitoba of all places. And he is escaping the government. They're trying to cause problems. His daughter's already escaped. You got to tune in. This is about escaping Canada for their own safety. Uh yeah. so when you are really targeted by the government, some people are really really targeted by the government. Um so we'll be training uh, t- telling that story tomorrow. But thank you very much, Ken, and thank you, Leighton. Yeah. And really, really appreciate Leighton you coming on because we had um a misunderstanding and we were able to quickly solve it. And thank you so much for being on here. Your, well, your, your you well you would have
2: been you have been stuck with me cares. alone.
0: Yeah. Communication usually
2: cures yeah, communication <laughs> usually yeah. cures yeah, the misunderstanding. So. Yeah. No, you're you're a
0: gentleman on that one for sure, and, and I can totally see how my tweets can come off as aggressive. It's you're not the first time to say that, and you won't be the last either. Um, I, I do my best to check and balance myself, but I'm not accredited, so therefore the government's not telling me what to do. So oh, course, sometimes yeah. I'll get it wrong. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Thank you both well, very, very much. much. Are you in Calgary, Leighton? Are you in Calgary?
2: I'm in Cold Lake, Alberta.
0: Oh, so you're e- east of Edmonton, then? Yeah. Okay, I'd like to come visit you sometime. I'm west
2: of Edmonton, so maybe you're we'll make welcome. I'd be ha- happy to have you anytime. Very good. You thank too, you Ken. both very much. <laughs> good night, everybody. Ken, you All right, you take care. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.